With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. But hey, it's there for the few that do. Here's the deal. Yeah, you know, the, the phone bridge has always been uh, time sensitive, meaning it'll only stay on for so long. And then I have to reset it like I just did, all right? And and we're still going to keep doing that because I actually like the phone bridge that we have now. Uh, it goes through something called TalkShoe. A TalkShoe is kind of a conference call place, and it records all the shows. And we uh, we have two different setups there because it only stay on for four hours. And if you're going to use the same account, you have to wait a half an hour before you, you reset it. Well, obviously that's not going to work for me, so I have two accounts, and I go from one to the next. And they have two different pins, and they're all on the website. And you can just dial the phone and put in the pin and listen. Or you can, if you have Internet, you can go to the, um, the website. And, you know, this is good for people who have phones and they want to listen on there. And let's say you hear something that you, boy, I'd like to have that. I'd like my friends to hear that or whatever. You know, but then again, you could just go to the, you know, the uh, AVR archives and get it. But thing is, it records all the shows, and it's another venue to where people can hear American Voice Radio Network. However, like I said, it's a, you know, every four hours I got to do this, and I'm not getting up in the middle of the night to, uh, you know, reset the uh, phone bridge. Sorry, I'm just not that dedicated. So, I have another solution. I have found a way to do a phone bridge overnight. That's right. And uh, I'll put that number on the uh, on the website here shortly. And so that's something new. You know, these little these little things, they don't mean much to you maybe, and uh, it doesn't seem like much, but these things bother me for long periods of time. And when I find a solution to them, I'm pretty happy about it. So there you go. There you have it anyway. TheAmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. Go participate in the show from the chat room. There's several people in there right now, and you can uh, chat with them. Matter of fact, there's, you know, for a while. Uh, so there you go. All right, let's uh, – oh, I don't want to do that one because it's long, and I'm going to – about your FBI? You want to hear about them? Want to hear about you don't have any uh, expectation of privacy when you're in a public place? Oh, yeah, that's right. The Federal Bureau of Investigation is taking the position that court warrants are not required when deploying cell site simulators in public places. Nicknamed 
and they're not nicknames. They're brand names. This is what the company means. And Stingray, the devices are decoy cell towers that capture locations and identities of mobile phone users and can intercept calls and texts. The FBI made its position known during private briefings with staff members of Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Patrick Leahy and Senator Chuck Grassley. Hey, remember last night Dean Lawrence pointed out these two criminals are in the third class of senators that are coming up for election in the next cycle? Keep that in mind. In response, the two lawmakers, Road Attorney General Eric Holder and Homeland Security Chief Jay Johnson, maintaining they were concerned about whether the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have adequately considered the privacy interests of Americans. According to the letter, which was released last week, for example, we understand that the FBI's new policy requires FBI agents to obtain a search warrant whenever a cell site simulator is used as part of an FBI investigation or operation, unless one of several exceptions apply. Among them, cases that pose an imminent danger to public safety, cases that involve a fugitive, cases in which the technology is used in public places or other locations at which the FBI deems there is no reasonable expectation of privacy. Now look, okay, these creeps at the FBI are nothing but criminals. They're nothing but Nazi bastards, and that's just the nicest way I can put it. Sorry, cover your ears, whatever. The fact of the matter is, look, you got to understand, if you're driving in your car in a public place, you don't have an ex- – they used to say you have a diminished expectation of privacy. And that's true because you know what? If you're going down the street, everybody on the sidewalk can see in your window. They can see you. Well, that's not the same as at your house, so you do have a diminished expectation of privacy to that extent, okay? Now, if you are having a conversation with somebody else out loud in the middle of a crowd, you have a diminished expectation of privacy to the extent that, hey, somebody standing around you may in fact be listening. They may even be looking at you. Wow, looking at you and listening. See, to that extent, you have a diminished expectation of privacy. But the point is, you can see those people. Okay? You can see, oh, I'm in a crowd of people. Okay? And I'm not completely brain dead, and I notice they have ears. So they might be able to hear me talking to my friend. So I guess I better not say anything. I don't want these strangers to hear that are surrounding me that I can see. Oh, gee, I'm in my car. Well, I better make sure I have clothing on. Because if I don't, 
all these people on the sidewalk are going to see me naked and perhaps be offended and call a cop. But you know they're on the street. Okay, see, my point here is that the FBI is saying, well, seeing as how you're in public and seeing how you realize you have a diminished capacity for privacy out in public, well, that means now you have no expectation of privacy of any kind, meaning you could be standing in a empty room with someone else that you want to say something privately to but if you're in a walmart if you're in a public building if you're on a sidewalk with nobody else within sight of you and you know hey we're alone nobody can hear us they say you still have no expectation of privacy because well We've got a microphone and a camera in the lamppost up above, hidden from you, not in plain sight. See, there's a difference between a diminished expectation of privacy and spying on people. A diminished expectation of privacy is when you realize uh, we're not alone. We're out, in pri- we're out in the public. People can hear me. People can see me. I can't walk around naked. And, uh, you know, just, you know, say whatever I want, you know, don't want people to hear. If I don't want them to hear it, I can't say it because I'm surrounded by people with ears. But when you don't see any people, when you have the impression that you are alone and somebody is eavesdropping in on you, that's spying. And it should be considered a crime. Folks, you got to start using your head and stop accepting this thing of there is no reasonable expectation of privacy. You see, the second you give these people an inch, they take a mile. It started out with a diminished expectation of privacy. Now it's turned into no expectation of privacy. You know, I think it is reasonable when you're standing on an empty sidewalk with no one around you it is reasonable to believe that you have privacy to speak to somebody without someone else listening in. But you no longer have that because now the FBI is putting microphones and cameras in the lamppost. And tracking your cell phone. So let's see. When you're in public. So because I'm in public, The FBI feels that they are allowed to just scoop up everything I'm saying. You see, there was a case, I forget the name of Terry. The fact of the matter is it used to be, and I don't know if this was overruled or not, but it used to be that, look, okay, the simple explanation is this. So you got a house, and you're maybe 20 feet off the sidewalk, right? Let's say you live in a town. Your house is 20 feet off the sidewalk. So you got a big picture window in the front of your house, right? 20 feet off the sidewalk. Now, if a cop is walking by the sidewalk and he looks over at your house and he sees knifing somebody in your big picture window in your living room, he can run over there, kick in your door, and stop you from killing that person. Now, 
You might say, well, that's an invasion of privacy. What goes on in my house is none of his business. Yes, but you see, the difference is he was walking down a public street where anybody else who was walking down the street could also look over there. You see, a cop, you got to understand, a cop is a government official, but he is also one of the people. So he's allowed to walk down the street and look at your house just like everybody else is allowed to walk down the street and look at your house. But as a person, he can look at your house, but if he sees you committing a crime as a police officer, he has a duty to stop you. Now, let's say same house, same sidewalk, except you have your curtains drawn. Those are the, these are the good curtains where you can't see anything through it, right? Now let's say the cop comes by and he's walking by your house and he whips out his thermal imaging device. And he points it at your house and he sees you knifing somebody so he kicks in the door and stops you. That's not legal. He broke the law. Just like, say you have a house. Again. This time, you're half a mile away from the uh, road, okay? Now, anybody going by there can look at your house, and they can see what they can see with their bare eyes. Okay? And so can a cop. If he wants to sit outside your, on the public street and sit out there and look at your house with his bare eyes, he can. But the minute he takes binoculars, and starts looking at your house, he's breaking the law, unless he has a warrant. At least that's how it used to be. This is how it used to be not long ago, and I'm talking 15 years ago, folks, that's all. I know it was this way 15 years ago. I don't know now. You know, this is, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're really going to have to start taking this a little more seriously and not just saying oh yeah you know uh, no expectation of privacy oh, it's okay no uh-uh but this is your fbi and you've got to wonder about fbi wait a minute now wait a minute where's your jurisdiction exactly not on the streets of medford oregon you're not allowed to do anything that I'm not allowed to do on the streets of Medford, Oregon. You don't have any authority at all. That's not a federal that's not federal property. That's not federal jurisdiction and I'm not a federal person. So what what jurisdiction do you have in Medford, Oregon? None. That's what none. You want to go investigate something in Washington D.C.? Have fun. You want to go investigate something on the uh, Indian reservations? Have at it. Want to go to a military base and do an investigation? Good luck. But you got no business on Main Street America. Well, apparently, John Boner is a sore winner. Oh, yeah. I, you know... I, I just don't like Boner, and I really wish they would have replaced him, and it's, it's very sad that they didn't, but they didn't. And uh, he's going to be back in there again. 
But anyway, so he's taking retaliation out on uh, the people that tried to oust him. That's right. He's taking them already, already, same day, man, taking them out of key positions that they were in. You know, we we have a criminal cabal. I mean, last night you heard about what John McCain doing. Was it last night or this morning? Is it this afternoon? I don't know. But what John McCain is doing in Arizona, how he's purging the the state Republican Party from anybody who opposes him and spending tons of money replacing them with his friends. Well, John Boner is doing the same thing in the United States House of Representatives. If you opposed him, he's basically taking you out of any position of authority anyway. Of course, Boner's spokesman, Michael Steele, said, uh, it's not true. The speaker didn't make such a call. Really? Well, maybe Michael Steele did. Maybe John Boner's uh, chief of staff did. These guys are professional liars. When they go, oh, well, John Boner didn't do that. Oh, no, but his chief of staff did. Somebody did. You know, see, this is something that I didn't even know. Now, Weber, this guy Weber, this representative Weber, is saying that he was taken off a bill as a sponsor. But they say, well, technically he wasn't taken off the bill as a sponsor because, well, the bill hasn't been filed yet. Oh, yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Now, get this. I didn't know this. Did you know this? Because I always thought co-sponsorship and sponsorship of bills came from, you know, back when I was naive and I actually thought these morons were writing these bills, I thought, well, the sponsor is the one who basically is the one writing this bill. But now I realize uh, sponsors are the ones that are paid off by lobbyists to uh, broker their bills, the corporate bills through our, uh, you know, House of Representatives. That's really what's going on. But it's even worse than that, folks. They don't even go through individual congressmen. It's more like the big-time lobbyists from the corporations go to the Republican leadership, meaning John Bonehead, pile him full of money, tell them what they tell him what they want, and then he goes and picks a couple of people that he likes, passes them some money and favors, and says, "Hey, you need to sponsor this bill." Yeah. Leadership, I'm reading from here, leadership often gets to determine who sponsors which bills. Uh, What? And it's not uncommon for the speaker to exert some influence over who is sponsoring legislation. Wow. Great, huh? But it it doesn't matter because uh, boners in, and we're gonna get more of the same. It's 
you know, again, folks, you know, I, I can't tell you, um, well, all we got to do is get out there and vote for, uh, you know, vote for, uh, vote for somebody new. Yeah, vote for, that isn't going to do it. And you know what else isn't going to do it? It isn't going to do it just to have another party. Uh, we need a whole revamp of everything. We need, like, five or six or seven parties, okay? We need to bust this thing up into little pieces. We need lots of parties. And there's another thing. We need, you know what? These guys are so willing to give corporations welfare. They're bailing out banks. Now they're going to use your money to bail out banks. They're giving food stamps and welfare and everything else to everybody out there, right? And then they'll say, oh, but, you know, we're, yeah, okay, how about elections? I mean, they want to nationalize the Internet. I'm going to get to that story here in just a few, you know, after the break. But, you know, they want to nationalize everything. But when it comes to elections, oh, no, we can't do that. It has to be corporate money. And they're private, private. They're not private. They're corporate. Corporate and private are different. They're not the same. We need to take all campaign money out of these things, and you know what? Take government money and say, all right, look, man, you get enough votes to get on a ballot uh, or enough signatures to get on a ballot, you'll get this much money. Yeah, you'll get this much money. Everybody gets the same amount of money, and oh, guess what? You licensed FCC TV stations? and you FCC-licensed radio stations, well, for your privilege of being allowed to exist, hey, for 30 days before any election, you're going to run free commercials for all the candidates. How about that? Yeah, take the money out of it. Take the corporations out of it. And if they don't think, well, we're not getting a... We're not getting our free speech. We're not getting represented. We're being taxed without representation because the corporation doesn't get to vote. Well, you know what? Corporation have a vote. Exxon Mobil gets one vote. Apple Computers gets one vote. Yeah, go ahead and vote. Hey, it's a person, right? That's what the Supreme Court says. Why should they get more than one vote? Why should they be allowed to pile millions of dollars in buying off politicians? Why should they be allowed to spend tens of millions of dollars flooding the airwaves with their corporate BS lies? We can't stop them from lying because, well, the Supreme Court's rules again. Hey, it's just a campaign promise. You can't take that as uh, real. Anyway, we'll be back in a bit. Everybody stay right where you're at.
few things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com. And then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Like a mouse and you act like a cat. I'm being a kid, hanging on by a thread. 
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. Go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. That's the website. Everything you need to know is there. Well, everything you need to know about the network is there. Probably everything you need to know isn't there. Well, not yet anyway. But anyhow... It is still the 6th of January, 2015. It's Tuesday evening, and, uh, well, I, you know, I'm always surprised. Well, not always, but many times I'm surprised when we play Stump the Room on what people in the room know and what they don't know. I got completely upside down on, on the songs tonight, because I, I figured they'd get the first one, and I figured they wouldn't get the second one, and it was exactly opposite. The Room did, in fact, get the second song, Dazed and Confused. You may have heard the song redone, covered, if you will, by Led Zeppelin. 
That is the original by the guy that wrote it, Jake Holmes. And the room got it. Now, the first one, I I really thought people would get because it's a pretty uh, well-known popular band with a pretty well-known popular you know, front man, and uh, it was 10 years after, you know, Alvin Lee, and the name of the song is Bad Scene. So there you go. There you have it. There it is. We got a tie. All right. Let's get back to some things. Stuff. Oh, let's see. Uh, 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 where to go? What to do? Where to go? Oh, yes. Well, we... Uh, on Bonehead there. Uh, I'm not going to do a Chris Christie song. Who cares, right? You know, folks, if you fall for this fat whale, you know, as a Republican candidate, you're crazy. I mean, you're really crazy. You know, him dropping weight is just like Jeb Bush dropping all his corporate, uh, you know, uh, ties, his, you know, on all these boards of different places. Man, it took him... It took him a month to get off all the boards he was on because this guy's got himself on every board and every corporation in America. I wonder why that is. Why would they put this know-nothing moron in, in a position of authority and a board of directors on any corporation? Why, I ask you, why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because there's a paycheck involved. That's why, and he doesn't have to show up, and he doesn't have to do anything. He just got to have his name on there. Oh, look, you got a bush. Ooh, that brings other money. That brings other people. You know why? Not because the business has anything of value, but because they figure if they support it, then if the Bushes get back in power, they'll have influence. That's what it's all about. This country, one of our biggest problems is corporation honestly you know and it's not fascism it's all communism folks it's all globalism look you you want to know what it really it's it's feudalism is what it is it's the dark ages this is what they want they want to go back to the good old days of the dark ages and you know what why do you think we're hearing all about, oh, recovery this, recovery that, stock market's going as best as ever, oh. Hey, guess what? Rolls-Royce sales are the best in history. Yeah. What does that tell you? Huh? What does that tell you? 65% of American children live in homes that are getting some sort of subsidy from the United States government, yet Rolls-Royce sales are the best in history. What does that tell you? It tells you that, hey, guess what? The majority of the people are in the sewer with the scum that rose to the top driving Rolls Royces at record rates. Woohoo! That's the recovery. History judges it as the Dark Ages. Well, you know what? It wasn't so dark if you were a king or a duke or a baron and you had an army of knights to go out and steal everything from the peasants to support your leech lifestyle. See what they want. Again, 
All right, they want that again. Well, hey, you know, they had the Black Plague to get rid of a quarter of the population back then. What are they going to do this time? Oh, you thought the Black Plague was just something that, whoops, popped out of nowhere. Really? That happens, huh? Just out of nowhere, just bang, hey, everybody dies, quarter of the population. Woohoo! Really? I don't think so. What we're looking at with the Black Plague was one of the first recorded, well, maybe not, because, you know, there were other, but anyway, one of the earliest recorded examples of biological warfare. Think about it. Think about that. I'm telling you, folks. You can look at Nazi Germany, and you can see a lot of stuff that, oh, whoa, look what they did. Oh, look what we're doing. Oh, look what they did. Oh, look what we're doing. You can do that a lot with Nazi Germany. But if you want to see the big picture, yeah, you can see some specifics. But that's only reminiscent of the fact of Rome. Rome. You want to see the big picture of what's happening now? Look at the rise and fall of Rome, particularly the fall, because we're pretty much over the rise. You know, and this isn't necessarily all about the United States, okay? because this is not just happening here. The whole world is collapsing, folks. It is not just the United States. It's not just your, your neighborhood. It is the whole world. Hey, you want to know how bad it is? Hey, McDonald's ran out of French fries in Venezuela. Yeah, Venezuela's collapsing. And they're not the only one. The only reason the rest of the South American countries aren't collapsing is because they're so poor to begin with. If they collapsed, no one would notice. Oh, gee, what's the difference between doing good and collapsing for you? Nothing. It's all the same down there. Poor. Africa? Oh, really? Okay, so what do we have left? Hey, how's Russia going? Oh, yeah, on the verge of World War III. Now we go to Europe. Hmm, how's that going over there? You see, think of Rome as Western civilization. That means Europe, and now it means the whole world. Because Rome was Western civilization, but it wasn't the whole world. Western civilization today has gone global. That was the whole idea with the Crusades, to go global. we got to go global. Globalism, got to have the whole world. This is an old plan, folks. They didn't just think of this when they thought of the U.N. They've been thinking of this for a long, long time. Global. Got to go global. So now they've pretty much accomplished that. Now Western, Western civilization basically either controls or influences everywhere. Now, and they've done it through fiat currency. They've done it through deceit and manipulation. Nevertheless, they did it. And the whole outhouse is about to go up in flames. 
just the way they want it. You think the fall of Rome, somehow they didn't notice that? They didn't read about that? They don't know about that? Oh, they don't. They know all about it. And they also know that, hey, you know what? Things went pretty good for the elite back then in the dark ages. So they released the Black Plague through Europe. Killed a quarter of the population. Again, what are they going to do this time? There's 7 billion people on the planet. Okay? You know, so a quarter, what is that? Maybe, what, 3 billion? That's not going to be good enough. But the bottom line is, you see, we look at, well, gosh, you know, I mean, you know, uh, our cities, we could lose 50, 60, 70 million people, maybe even, you know, 100 million people in, in those cities, all the cities combined. Given the fact that nobody's made any preparations, nobody has any stored food, nobody has any stored water, if the electricity goes off, they won't be able to flush their toilets. There'll be sewage running down the streets with no water to drink. How long do you think 7 million people in a few square miles is going to be able to survive under those circumstances? Not all that long. Now, that doesn't mean every single person's going to die. But out of 7 million people, probably 5 or 6 will in every city that's got 7 million. Hey, it adds up. We got a lot of cities in this country. But it's nothing compared to what they're going to do in Africa, what they've already started to do in Africa. telling you these maniacs want the they want the dark ages they don't want to fix anything they're into this whole uh you know uh, oh burn it all down and uh you know rise up out of the ashes like the phoenix you know this is their big thing this is what they believe this is their philosophy read about these people and you'll find out this is their philosophy this is how they think think about it they've been giving you little hints for a long time well, you know, okay, hey, let's take a little trip back to Vietnam where they told us, well, you know, I'm very smart, I'm very intelligent, so I've got PhDs behind my name, and I'm in charge, and I'm telling you, we've got to burn the village to save the village. What? You You really believe that? Well, of course I do. Watch this. And B-52s rained down napalm all throughout Vietnam. Yeah. These people are maniacs, the ones in charge of this government, folks. And there's other maniacs in charge of other governments. And they all get together at the maniac club called the UN and NATO and the G-20. The G-20 is the real lunatics. Uh, actually, the real represent- the representatives of the real lunatics are at the G20. So, you know, I mean, the good side of this is everybody didn't die during the Dark Ages. Okay? And you don't have to die either. 
And, and here's a little, hey, look, even you've heard of thieves' oil, right? Maybe you don't know what it is, but you've heard of it. Well, thieves' oil is a combination of essential oils that, uh, what would you call them? They're not really grave robbers, but everybody was dying from the plague, and nobody wanted to go near the dead bodies because, well, they were infectious, and nobody wanted to get near them because they were afraid they'd get the black plague. Pretty good reason, you know, good reasoning there. You don't want to mess with the dead, infected bodies because you don't want to die. Okay, but there were people who, uh, you know what? Look at that dead body over there, man. Look at that ring. Look at that jewelry that dead body's wearing. Whoo, man, I really like that. You know what? I don't care. I'm, I'm going to get me that. Well, they learned that if they rub this oil on them, they could go and handle these dead bodies without becoming infected with the plague. So they robbed all the bodies, and, uh, you know, they made some money that way. But that's not really the point. I'm not encouraging anybody to go rob dead bodies. But I am encouraging you to prepare. See, get knowledge. Find out what you've got to do to stay alive, what you've got to do to survive and thrive, not just live in a hole in the ground and hope it all ends soon, but to actually live. It's just not going to happen, folks. You're going to have to make it happen, and you're going to have to know how to make it happen. You better start now, man, because if you are just starting now, you're a little behind the curve on this. But... The blessing is, it's still not too late. Anyway, I'll be back again tomorrow. As always, thanks for listening. Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. 
You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the Premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply. The Declaration of Independence, a public domain recording for LibriVox.org, read by Jim Tedrock. The Declaration of Independence of the Thirteen Colonies in Congress, July 4, 1776. The Unanimous Declaration of the Thirteen United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. But whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly our experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpation pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity 
which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained, and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly, for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has effected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation, for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, 
and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is, at this time, transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us, and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of our ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably disrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I was invited to give you a taste of a typical law school classroom experience here today, and I thought I would take advantage of this opportunity to do something that's been on my mind for a while. 
to stand up and to probably say, God bless America. God bless the Bill of Rights and thank God for the Fifth Amendment. I'm not ashamed to say I'm proud of the Fifth Amendment, and I'm, not, I'm proud to admit on camera and on the Internet that I will never talk to any police officer under any circumstances, with all due respect, sir. <laughs> I'm doing something really extraordinary here today, something you'll almost never see another law professor do as long as you live. I'm really putting myself on the spot here. And my, this was my idea. By my invitation, I have given up half of my time, approximately. I'm giving equal time and the last word to an expert who really knows something about what I'll be talking about. So I'm opening myself up to the possibility that he will contradict me. I was a criminal defense attorney when I was in private practice. So I want to make sure, in fairness to you, if I'm misleading you or giving you a slanted and one-sided presentation, you'll be able to get the last word from somebody else. I'm sure he'll have a lot to teach all of us, including myself. The Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution provides, no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. And this unfortunate amendment has gotten a bad rap in, in recent times, much of it uh, tragically and unnecessarily through, as you may have heard, the headlines. Uh, there was a recent, recent Regent Law School graduate who was in all the news for a couple of weeks. She was an outstanding former student of mine, and she really got quite a lot of undeserved flack for the fact that she chose to exercise her right to remain silent when the Senate wanted to ask her certain questions that arguably might have tended to incriminate her. All of the world would have guessed. Could the Christian community in particular looked at this and said, how could a Christian do such a thing? How could a Christian take the Fifth Amendment? And I said, you go, girlfriend. I do the same thing. I'll do it every time. And I want to talk to you about why that's true, but first a quick listening test. Now, let me read to you something that uh, was taken out of the newspaper this morning, and I want you to listen to it closely. I'm giving you a heads up. I'm warning you in advance, which is not fair to you. Not fair to me, but I'm giving you a, heads I'm giving you a warning that I'll be quizzing you on this in just a few minutes. This will test your aptitude for legal study and legal practice. Listen closely. It won't take long. Last night, agents of the Norfolk Police Department found three victims of an apparent murder dead in an apartment in the East Ocean View area, the apparent victims of a gangland-style slaying, and possibly the victims of gang-related violence. The police are investigating this as a possible murder and suicide, but right now suspect that the three were all killed by the same individual. No suspects have yet been identified in the slaying, but veteran police detective George Brooke has confirmed that police are following up on evidence pointing to the possible involvement of an off-duty naval officer as the perpetrator. The bodies, which were found by the apartment manager at about 8 o'clock in the morning, appear to have been slain sometime earlier on the same evening, probably sometime between midnight and 2 o'clock in the morning. That's it. Those are all the facts I'll ask you to remember, and it won't be for very long either. Let's see how well you do. I'll be quizzing you in just a few minutes. Now, here's the easiest question you'll ever get from a client in all the days of your life. Question, hey, the police are here. They want to talk to me. What should I do? Well, I could give you my answer to that question in case you haven't already guessed it, but why don't we go to a real expert? Justice Robert Jackson, a prosecutor's prosecutor. Like me, he began his private practice in Buffalo, New York, years before I did. And after that, he served as general counsel for the Bureau of Internal Revenue, the U.S. Department of Treasury, the Security and Exchange Commission, assistant U.S. Attorney General for the Tax Division, later the Solicitor General and the Attorney General of the United States, and then the Chief U.S. Prosecutor for the Nuremberg Trials. That's an impressive resume. Years later, when he was a justice on the Supreme Court, Justice Jackson stated, quote, any lawyer worth his salt, today we would say his or her, will tell the suspect, his client, in no uncertain terms to make no statement to the police under any circumstances. There's the title of my talk. I'm here to explain to you the surprising and somewhat counterintuitive and admittedly unlikely reasons why Justice Jackson was right. I'm reminded of this because I'm amazed, we're all amazed, by the frequency with which we see newspaper articles coming out all the time from people who really ought to know better, who say, well, I'll, I'll talk to the police. I mean, after all, I'm, I'm a senator. 
I'm a uh, I'm OJ Simpson. I'm uh, I'm an experienced, highly polished individual. I've got a lot of experience with public relations, even criminal defense attorneys. There was a local news story here in the Virginia Pilot just a couple of months ago about an experienced criminal defense lawyer who ended up getting convicted of criminal assault because he talked to the police. He was accused of having assaulted another attorney in the hallway. There were no other witnesses to this. A woman said that he grabbed her by the throat during an argument over a case. He denied it. Uh, at trial, it was his word against hers. He said, I did not even touch her. But unfortunately for him, when the police had approached him earlier and said, would you be willing to answer some questions? He said, sure, why not? I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I'm a criminal defense attorney. I'm savvy. I'm sophisticated. I've got oratorical prowess. I'm, I'm accustomed to dealing with the police, by all means. And then there was a conversation that was not recorded. When the case went to trial, it was no longer his word against hers, because when he testified at trial, I never touched her. The officer took her to the stand and testified, well, when I met with him, he said he did put his hand on her throat, but just as a joke. Then he had to take the stand again and say, that's not true. I never said that. I never admitted to you that I, now it's his word against two people. Who's telling the truth? We'll never know for sure. But he was found guilty. Now, here's part of the problem. The heart of the problem, as Justice Breyer on the U.S. Supreme Court explained in 1998, is, quote, the complexity of modern federal criminal law codified in several thousand sections of the United States Code and the virtually infinite variety of factual circumstances that might trigger an investigation into a possible violation of the law make it difficult for anyone to know in advance just when a particular set of statements might later appear to a prosecutor to be relevant to some investigation. Uh, one expert on criminal law recently noted that estimates of the current size of the body of federal criminal law vary, although it has been reported that the Congressional Research Service can no longer even count the current number of federal crimes. That's right. Even the federal government has lost count. These laws are scattered over all 50 pages of the U.S. Code, encompassing roughly 27,000 pages. Worse yet, these statutes often incorporate by reference the provisions of administrative regulations. Estimates of how many such regulations exist are even less well settled, although the ABA thinks there may be nearly 10,000. Here's one of those 10,000 federal criminal statutes on the book that you've probably never heard about. It's called the Lacey Act, 16 U.S.C. Section 3370. says that it's a federal offense for any person to import, export, transport, sell, receive, acquire, or purchase any fish or wildlife or plant taken, possessed, transported, or sold in the violation of any law, treaty, or regulation of the United States or any Indian tribal law or any state or any foreign law. People have been convicted in federal court for violating this statute because they brought back a bony fish from Honduras, not knowing that Honduran law, not American, but Honduran law, forbade the possession of the bony fish. People have been convicted under this law because they were found in possession of what's called a short lobster, a lobster that's under a certain size. Some states forbid you from possessing a lobster if he's under a certain length. It doesn't matter if he's dead or alive. It doesn't matter if you killed him or if he died of natural causes. It doesn't even matter if you acted in self-defense. Did you know that? Did you know it could be a federal offense to be in possession of a lobster? Admit it. Raise your hand if you did not know that. There's the problem. And that's only one of 10,000 different ways. You know, the government gets pretty upset when people like me instruct the client, people like me and Justice Jackson. Don't talk to the police. Don't answer any questions. But, you know, they can't have it both ways. You people, you've got 10,000 different ways of convicting us. Good for you, but, you know... With the bitter comes to the sweet, with the good comes to the bad. That's 10,000 different ways my client might unknowingly implicate himself in some sort of a criminal transaction. One of the reasons I decided to give this talk, I recently received a phone call from a former student of mine, a regional law school graduate, who may be watching this online. We're putting it on the internet. And he told me, hey, I've been approached by the Internal Revenue Service. They want to ask me a couple of questions. They ask if I'd be willing to. Uh, but they say that I'm not a suspect. And I know in my heart I don't think I've done anything wrong in violation of the Internal Revenue Service provisions. 
Lord have mercy. <laughs> there's no man on earth. There's no, there's no woman in this country who can honestly say with complete confidence, I know I have never violated any provision of the Internal Revenue Code. He said, but they, they say I'm not a suspect, and I know I've done nothing wrong. It's okay if I talk to him. I said, no, no, you tell them you will not talk to them without immunity. I explained to him why that was true, and they never, he never heard from them again. <laughs> okay, why you should never talk to the police? Let me just spell it out for you. Let me make it plain to all of you. These are the top ten reasons. I, I don't want to actually really lie to you. I don't really have ten. I don't have time for ten, but I've got time for eight, and that'll be close enough. <laughs> Number one, and this really ought to be good enough. Contrary to what you laymen instinctively and naturally suppose, it cannot help. There is no way it can help you. Plenty of folks think that it can, and they're always wrong. You cannot talk your way out of getting arrested. Officer Brooke. You've interviewed thousands of criminal suspects. Have you ever, how many times in your experience have you approached someone, asked if you could ask them some questions because prior to the interview you had some evidence pointing to his possible guilt? And because of the extraordinary persuasiveness and eloquence with which he articulated his innocence, you said, oh, sorry, never mind. Bad call, my bad, I won't. And you, he talked you out of arresting him. Uh, you know the answer. Never. Never. It never happens. I've often asked other criminal defense attorneys, in all of your experience, have you ever once had a case where you looked back in hindsight and said, thank God my client talked to the police? They laugh at me. They laugh at me. They say, you've got to be kidding me. It cannot help you. You can't talk your way out of getting arrested. And contrary to what you might suppose if you never said that the rules of evidence, what you tell the police, even if it's exculpatory, cannot be used to help you with trial because it's what we call hearsay. Under the rules of evidence, specifically Rule 801-D2A, if you want to look it up, uh, everything you tell the police, as the saying goes, can and will be used against you, but it cannot be used for you. From time to time, I've known attorneys who tried to call to the stand of police officer and say, Officer, would you tell the jury what my client told you because what my client told him is actually good for my case? If you try that in a trial, the prosecutor will object to it as hearsay, and the judge will agree. The police will not be allowed at your request to tell the jury what your client told him, so that how good it may be for your case. It cannot help. And that ought to be good enough reason. That ought to be reason enough to keep your mouth shut. But if you're not persuaded, let me go talk about a couple of others. Number two, obviously one of the most obvious, if your client is guilty, as many of them are, but even if he's not, even if he's innocent, he may well admit his guilt with no benefit in return. Now, of course, many of you are thinking to yourself, well, what's so wrong about that? I mean, shouldn't guilty people be confessing? Confession's good for the soul. It's good for law enforcement. It's good for the prisons. Yes, yes, sure, all those things are true. And like the rest of you, if I or anyone close to me is ever the victim of some sort of a serious crime, I hope they get the right guy. I hope they convict him. I hope they put him away. We all feel that way. Hey, but what's for the rush, friends? You don't got to admit your guilt the first time they come by to meet with you. In federal court, 86% of all defendants plead guilty at some point before trial. If your client is guilty and really ought to punish and really ought to have a uh, go through some sort of a cleansing act of contrition and fess up and admit his guilt, there'll be plenty of time to do it. They almost always do. No need to rush, no need to tell the police something. Wait and see if we, perhaps your client can work out some sort of an arrangement where maybe he'll make some sort of compensation to the alleged victim, or maybe he'll be able to get some sort of a discount in the sentence, and he'll be able to treat, he'll be treated fairly then, like everybody else who had the benefit of a good lawyer who said, please do not talk to the police. And don't forget, by the way, even if, even if your client only admits things that the police already knew, you might think, well, what harm can it do? He says he wants to talk to the police. All he wants to do is admit that he was there, but the cops know that he was there. All right, go ahead and tell him. Well, how can it hurt? It might hurt if the police officer becomes transferred to Minnesota or deceased or injured or comatose or cannot be located by the time of trial. The case will be dismissed if there's no confession. But if your client admits two things, uh, that confession is freely admissible against him and can be a basis for getting him convicted all by himself. Senator Larry Craig can explain all of this to you. <laughs> The Innocence Project of 
the United States has confirmed that in more than 25% of all the cases where an innocent man was convicted and then later released from prison after he was exonerated by DNA evidence, in more than a quarter of those cases, these innocent people, people we know to be innocent, made incriminating statements, delivered outright confessions, or pled guilty. How do they do that? They'll tell us all about it, I trust. Here's a couple of famous examples. You can just ask them. You don't have to take my word for it. They are on the left was Eddie Joe Lloyd. He was convicted in 1984 of the murder of a 16-year-old girl in Detroit after he wrote to police with suggestions on how to solve various recent crimes. During several interviews, police fed details of the crime to Mr. Lloyd, who was mentally ill, and they lied to him and convinced this mentally ill man that by confessing, he might help them smoke out the real killer. He later signed a confession and gave a tape-recorded statement. The jury delivered it less than one hour before convicting him on the basis of this confession. There was no other substantial evidence against him. The judge said, I'd hang you if I could, but the death penalty was not available in Michigan at the time. But after almost two decades in prison, he was released after DNA evidence proved that this man was innocent and had falsely committed, confessed to a crime that he did not commit. On the right is Earl Washington who was released from prison just a few years ago here in Virginia after spending 18 years behind bars for, after being committed of a rape and a murder that we now know he did not commit after having been exonerated by DNA evidence. But this man, Mr. Washington, who was in fact confirmed to be mentally retarded, was able to confess to several crimes at the request of the police, some of which we know he could not have committed. That's the problem. Some of you are thinking to yourself, well, none of this concerns me because I'm not guilty of anything and I never will be and I will never represent people who do. Okay. Let's talk to you people, you innocent folks. Those of you who have never committed a crime and never will, and none of your clients will either, and, no, and you wouldn't go out with a girl who did. Fine. You better not talk to the police either, okay? Because number three, we'll put the guilty behind us. Forget about them. Let's talk about innocent people. Number three, even if your client is innocent and he denies his guilt and almost entirely tells the truth, odds are good he will easily get carried away and tell some little lie or make some little mistake that will hang him. This is human nature. He gets in there with a stressful situation. Imagine a perfectly innocent client. The police say he's been guilty of a murder. He's totally innocent. As innocent as any one of us. So he goes in there, he meets with the police. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I was, I was nowhere near there. I, I, I didn't kill him. I've never killed anybody. I don't have a gun. I've never had a gun. I've never touched a gun in my life. I was nowhere near Virginia Beast that night. That, that, night. Oh, and that last line was a lie. He went over the top. He was getting carried away. He got into this group. He started to say all kinds of things. Almost all of them true. But he knew he tend to exculpate himself. They got carried away and just said one thing that wasn't true, and unfortunately for him, they can prove that it wasn't true. He may be convicted on that basis alone. But let's say, let's say, well, that's not a problem. I'll tell my client only to tell the truth. If I've met with him, I know he won't lie to the police. He won't make any mistakes, okay? That's still no guarantee you won't be getting into trouble. Because even if your client is innocent and only tells the truth and doesn't say anything that is false. Now, already, mind you, we're pretty well nigh into fantasy land. The odds of this being, anybody being able to pull this off are really quite slim, no matter how innocent they may be, but just for the same, let's pretend. Let's assume he gives the police nothing but the truth, and he is totally innocent. He will always give the police some information that can be used to help convict him. Always. For example, suppose you tell this to the police. Here's what your client tells to the police in his denial of guilt. I don't know what you're talking about. I, was, I didn't kill Jones. I don't know who did. I wasn't anywhere near that place. I don't have a gun. I've never owned a gun in my life. I don't even know how to use a gun. Yeah, sure, I never liked the guy, but who did? I wouldn't kill him. I've never hurt anybody in my life, and I would never do such a thing. Let's suppose every word of that is true. 100% of it is true. What will the jury hear at trial? Officer Brooke, was there anything about this, your interrogation, your interview with the suspect that made you concerned that he might be the right one? Yes, there was. He confessed to me that he never liked the guy. And then the prosecutor puts it up in big letters, and he'll say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's pretty clear that we've got the right guy here. We've proven that he was in Virginia Beach that night. That's opportunity. And remember, Officer Brooke admitted that after extended questioning, he was finally able to get the defendant to admit that he never liked the guy. There's your motive. Motive plus opportunity. Wham, bam. Please. <laughs> 
but jury beat it up, and innocent people get convicted this way sometimes. How often? Hopefully not too often, but we know what happens. The United States Supreme Court, don't take my word for this, in Ohio versus Ryan, the Supreme Court of the United States said, quote, one of the Fifth Amendment's basic functions is to protect innocent men who otherwise might be ensnared by ambiguous circumstances. Truthful responses of an innocent witness, as well as those of a wrongdoer, may provide the government with incriminating evidence from the speaker's own mouth. See, it's not just some criminal defense attorney telling you this. Even the Supreme Court says I'm right. And in fact, under the facts of that case, by the way, in Ohio versus Rhino, a child tragically was died, apparently the result of shaken baby syndrome. The question was who had shaken this baby to death. And one of the possible suspects was a babysitter who had spent some time with the child that week. The babysitter's story was, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I did not kill the child. I, don't see, I did not see what happened. I don't know who shook the baby. It was never me. I never did anything of any violent nature to the child. The Ohio State Court said, well, you've got no Fifth Amendment privilege. You, by your own admission, told the investigators that you've done nothing wrong, that you were not involved, so obviously your answers can't incriminate you. The United States Supreme Court reversed and said, well, that's not true. Even though the child, this babysitter denies shaking the child, denies seeing the child die, denying knowing, denies knowing how the child died, this babysitter, by her own admission, apparently was being, was, the, the government wanted to ask whether the babysitter might have been with the child at some point that week, during the week prior to the death. And that answer, although by itself not sufficient to convict anybody, could help convict her. That means she's got a Fifth Amendment right to have refused to answer to the question the court held, because it could be used to help convict. Allman versus United States, the Supreme Court said more than 50 years ago, eerily prophetic. They said too many Americans, even those who should be better advised, view this privilege as a shelter for wrongdoers. They too readily assume that those who invoke it are either guilty of crime or commit perjury and claim the privilege. That's not true, and it never has been. But it gets worse. Can it get worse? It can. Number five, even if your client is innocent and only tells the truth and does not tell the police anything incriminating, which, by the way, is almost impossible to pull this off. I mean, imagine talking to the police for two, three, four hours, and, and somebody like him can't somehow manage to extract from you something that could be used to help convict you. That'd be extraordinary. I don't think anybody pulled it off. But what do you mean if you could pull it off? There's still a grave chance that his answers can and will be used to crucify you in a court of law if the police, no offense, don't recall his testimony with 100% accuracy. All right, now this brings us back to that pop quiz I warned you about. I told you earlier, remember, it's only been a few minutes, and you weren't up all night, and you were at the subject of physical duress. You were in the relaxed setting of a classroom here. You were given heads up, advance notice that you would be quizzed on this. Question. Let's start with a couple of easy ones. Remember that article I read to you about that? How many people did the police find shot for that last night at that Ocean View apartment that I told you about? A, 1, B, 2, C, 3, D, 4. Who says A? B. B. Get this. Get that with the camera. Show us. Get this. Move that camera out. Look how many hands we've got there for C. Okay. D. You're all wrong. Everybody who raised their hand, everybody who raised their hand, uh, you are the kind of people who should never talk to the police under any circumstances for as long as you live. Why is C not the right answer, by the way? If you know, raise your hand. Yes. Excellent. I didn't say anybody was shot. I didn't say gun, bullet, shooting, firearms. Didn't use any of those words. But I don't blame you if you thought that I did. This is the way the human mind works. We hear things. We fill in details. I said gangland-style sling. That may or may not apply something, but it doesn't mean that anybody was shot. And that's the problem. You see, even if your client is innocent and only tells the truth and doesn't tell them anything incriminating, and his statement is videotaped, his answers can be used to crucify him. You might say, wait, how can that happen? 
I insisted. In my insistence, I called the police and I said, look, if you want to talk to my client, you can talk to him. But only if you videotape the whole thing. I don't want there to be any debate between the two of you over what happened. Okay, we'll videotape the whole thing. If the police don't recall the questions with 100% accuracy, he'll be convicted on that statement alone. For example, suppose a man goes to the police. They say we're investigating a possible murder, a shooting. And the guy says, quote, I don't know who killed Jones, Officer Brooke, with all due respect. I, it wasn't me. I've never touched or fired a gun in my life. How can that help incriminate this man? How can that possibly be used against this man to help convict him? You would think it's inconceivable. But it's as easy as pie. All the officer has to do is read the statement to the jury, and then the prosecutor says, Officer Brooke, was there anything about that statement that confused you or surprised you? Yes, there was, he says in a moment of sinister high drama in the courtroom. And what was that? And then Officer Brooke turns to the jurors and he says, I never said anything about a shooting. I said we were investigating a murder. He was the one who brought up a gun. Then you turn to your client and your client says, that's not true. That's not true. I remember he was the one who one of the cops. I was with him for three hours. One of them in the car said something about, they said they had a witness that I was a shooter. Okay, I'll put you on the stand. And then the, your client testifies, no, 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 they did tell me shooting. I mentioned, they mentioned it before I said anything about a gun. They brought him up first. And then the police said, that's not true. And now it's your word against theirs? For what? You're gambling with your client's life? And police officers can very easily make a mistake like that, just as so many of you did just a few minutes ago about whether you recall having heard me say something about somebody actually being shot. Police make mistakes, innocently, inadvertently, unintentionally, any statement, no matter how exculpatory it may seem on its face, can be used to crucify you all by itself if the police are either willing to lie, not likely, or if they just have an innocent misrecollection of the details as to what they did and did not tell you before you told them what you said. All of these, by the way, all of these problems disappear if you take Justice Jackson's advice and say, thank you very much, officer, but no thanks. <laughs> how about this one? Here we go. Now, here's the most surprising of all. I saved the most surprising one for a last. Let's suppose you've got the following scenario. Your client's thinking about talking to the police. He acts like he says, I've got nothing to hide. They think that I killed somebody in Virginia Beach last night. Well, we're, and, and, this is what, and this is what your client tells you in confidence. I don't know who robbed that store. It wasn't me. In fact, I've got a pretty good alibi. I wasn't even in Virginia Beach that night, last night. I was four hours away visiting my mother in the Outer Banks. Unfortunately, no, I did not pay for gas with a credit card. I used cash, and so I've got no witnesses that can prove I was there except my word. And, of course, Mama, for what that's worth, which is nothing. Uh, but uh, so your client says, well, so the police want to talk to me, and I want to seem cooperative. So what I'll do is I'll tell them that I was in the auto banks last night. Now, there's nothing on its face incriminating about any of that. Let's assume, by the way, that you believe with all your doubt you've given your client a polygraph exam. You've known him for years. You've been going to the same Bible study for 30 years. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's telling you the truth. And he's not admitting anything. He's not admitting motive. He's not admitting opportunity. He's not admitting that he was there. How on earth could this come back to haunt us? How on earth could this come back to be used against us? Be honest. Raise your hand if you really think the answer to that question is, I can't see how it could possibly be used against me. You're afraid I'll call on you, right? I won't call on you. Well, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. You're always wrong. Everything you say. Every time you talk to the police, you will regret it. You see, the problem is, here it is. This is the last point. I think it's almost over. Even if your client is innocent and only tells the truth and doesn't tell the police anything incriminating, and the entire interview, questions and answers are, are videotaped, your, even his truthful answers can be helped to use crucify even an innocent man if the police, through no fault of theirs, end up in the possession of any evidence, even mistaken and unreliable evidence, that anything your client told them was false, even if in fact it was true. Again, going back to this example from a moment ago. Let's suppose I, tell, I go ahead and I meet with the police. I think i got nothing to hide. I tell them I was in the outer banks last night, officer. How can that be used to convict me? By itself, it cannot. It cannot help at all by itself. But what if I live to find out, to my horror, after I put my cards on the table, that they've got a witness, a girl that I went to high school with, 
an unimpeachable witness. We've never been enemies. She'd have no reason to lie. She swears she thinks she saw me in Virginia Beach last night, a couple of blocks away from that store, about an hour before it was robbed. Now, her testimony by itself isn't going to help the prosecutor. Help if she's all they've got, I'll get this case thrown out before trial. But if, like an idiot, I talked to the police and I told them the truth, I told them I was in the Outer Banks, and now, lo and behold, tragically, it turns out they've got a witness, a false, mistaken, confused, but sincere and credible witness, who can testify that I was here in Virginia Beach, now they're likely to get a conviction. Because what they'll do, I've just turned this cop and this woman into the government star witness. They'll put her, they'll put Officer Brooke on to testify about how my client lied to him about being in the other banks. And then they'll put on this girl, this girl who otherwise would have not even helped with the case at all, who will testify, no, that's not true. That was a lie. I saw Mr. Dwayne Pryde here in Virginia an hour before the robbery, not so far from the store. By herself, she would not have helped the government in any significant way. But what I have just done, you see, is given them the other part of the puzzle. And now I'm doomed. Just ask them. I, I, close, I close with this example. Here we have a couple of recent celebrity examples of why it is that even people who admit nothing always end up denying it. I mean, sorry, they always end up regretting it. On the left, we have Martha Stewart. She was the victim, the subject, of an extensive government investigation that was looking into the possibility that she was guilty of violations of certain federal laws, security laws, fraud kinds of things. They couldn't pin that on her, but they were able to get a conviction because she denied it. Talking to the police and later to some of the shareholders, she said, no, it's not true. I was not guilty. So they charged her with lying to federal investigators, and they got a conviction, and she was sentenced to five months in prison. Marion Jones on the right side, another person who would still be out today if she had always uh, taken the advice that I'm giving you now. She was asked if she had ever used a steroids, a controlled substance. And instead of taking the fifth, she said, no, I never took steroids when I won those Olympic gold medals. Uh, later on, it turned out that she was lying. She worked at a deal. She pled guilty. She admitted that she was lying. And she, over her stay, was tearful of objection, even though she had two young children, was just recently sentenced to prison for six months. The guy who sold her the steroids, the pusher, he got only four months. But she got six months because she lied to the police and said that she did not do it. You see the problem. Michael Vick, who recently pled guilty, as you know, to these charges with respect to the operation of this dog, uh, combat sort of operation at his home. Uh, at sentencing, like many of the criminal defendants, even though he eventually pled guilty, at sentencing, one of the things, one of the reasons his sentence was a little harder than it might have otherwise been, the judge said, was because when he initially met with the police, he lied to them and said, I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. Even guilty people, but not only guilty people, will always end up regretting talking to the police. Um, so, my advice to you, Justice Jackson was right. Any sane, competent lawyer in his right mind will always tell every client under all circumstances, I don't care if you're innocent. I don't care if it's the truth. If it's the truth, great. We'll tell the jury all about it. There'll be time enough to put our cards on the table. But before we get there, I haven't seen yet what the police got. They may have mistaken and confused witnesses who will contradict even the truth of stuff that you say. We have no way to know, no way to predict whether the information that you give them, even if truthful and reliable, will end up unwittingly dispelling our demise. So keep your mouth shut. Don't answer any questions. Let's take the fifth. You'll be glad that you did. God bless America. God bless the, bless the Bill of Rights and the geniuses who bequeathed it to us. But now, in fairness, I give equal time, or with less of equal time, <laughs> to a police officer who will explain to the extent to which, if any, he agrees with his views or anything I've got to say. I, didn't, I have no idea to know what, what he's going to say, but it'll be interesting. Here, let me give him the microphone. Give, let's give him a hand. Officer George Proof, the Virginia Beach Police Department. I cannot talk that fast. <laughs> Not even interviewing. I'm going to take the podium here, Professor. Because I took notes on some of the things you said. 
And everything he said was true. Okay? And it was right and it was correct. And I'm just going to give you a few ideas. I'm going to tell you a few examples, but first I'm going to give you a little information. Uh, as was said earlier, I've interviewed thousands of people. I've interviewed people with foreign police departments when I was in the Navy. I was in law enforcement and uh, I was a criminal investigator. Thank God we're in the United States because most interviews in Italy, Spain, and so forth start out physically. Okay? There's no police, uh, police abuse over there. They can do pretty much what they want, anytime they want, anyhow they want. So just be aware of that and be thankful for you. Biggest question I was asked when I first, I am a 3L, and there's some of my classmates in here. Best day is coming up, May 10th, when we get to leave. So those of you that are applying, and, and I told a couple of people this, you think it's hard getting into law school? Try getting out. <laughs> okay? A couple of things I was asked. How do I quit from getting speeding tickets? Very easy question. Quit speeding. Okay? <laughs> but something Professor Dwayne brought up, are any of you guilty of anything? How many of you drove here today? Anybody go above 55 on the interstate? Anybody drive at home and go above 55 on the interstate? Because if you, if you stay... and that's their biggest downfall, okay? They, they really are. All they want to tell their story. And if you drive 55 on the interstate where it's 55, the only thing you're going to do is meet the person behind you because they're going to rear engine and you're going to get run out, okay? So that, that's a fact. But everybody does something that they can get in trouble for. I can follow as a police officer when I was uniform. I can follow a car however long I needed to, and eventually they're going to do something illegal, and I can pull them over. And justifiably illegal to pull them over. So just be aware of that. Don't, don't think you're so innocent and such a thing. Uh, when you get stopped for a traffic ticket, everyone likes to be somewhat honest. And what's the first thing the police officer asks you? Do you know how fast you're going? If the speed limit's 35, you'll say, oh, 38, 40, because you want to be kind of honest even though you're doing 50. <laughs> you just said 38, 40. You just admitted to breaking the law. You just confessed. So they can go to court with that, with a confession, that you were exceeding the speed limit. Okay, so think. You need to think about those things, and when you do become defense attorneys, which I may, who knows, you need to think about those things for your clients. The other thing you need to think about your clients, and this is going to seem very terse, people are stupid. Your clients are stupid. And I've had defense attorneys come to me, as a matter of fact, one on a uh, motion to suppress just Tuesday, come up to me and tell me his client was stupid. Okay? They're very straightforward. They do foolish things. They talk to the police. You, you guys need to be aware of that. Now, in my past, and it wasn't exaggerated, I have interviewed thousands of people. I have a, uh, I've arrested and dealt with over 1,000 felonies. Well, actually, more than 1,000 felonies. Probably about 20, or, yeah, about 1,000 felonies, 2,500 misdemeanors, 98% of them conviction rate, 80% of them I don't even have to go to court. Why? Because there's confessions. Because they confess. So these, pe these people have no problem. The hardened criminals have no problem talking to the police. People like to tell their story. And they'll sit in that room and think about it. You're picked up by the police. You're in a little room. There's one chair here. There's a desk. There's another chair. What's the thing you want the most right at that point? To get out of that room. To be out of that room. Think the police officers 
police officer's shift is ending in 15 minutes. Does the police officer want to get out of that room? My overtime rate's $58 an hour. Do I want to get out of that room? I have no problem. I'll stay there for 10 hours. I'll, say, I'll take that $600. Okay. So I have no motivation to want to leave. You do. And that's, that's how we get you to try to talk. I have my job. My job is to develop probable cause, develop a good case. A great case is a case with a confession. Get it to the Commonwealth attorney so that they can prosecute the case with little, if any, effort. And the Commonwealth attorneys love those cases, the little, if any, effort, because they come with a stack of files that high in court every day. So they love those cases. That's my job. The defense attorney's job is to hope they get to their client before I do and make sure they don't talk to me, no matter what. Give you an example, and this will go right along with what Professor Duane was putting up as examples. I had an interview that went something like this. Were you involved in the burglaries? No, I had nothing to do with them. You didn't have anything to do with them? No. You were in a car with all this stolen stuff in it? You had nothing to do with that? No. You knew it was there? Yeah. Okay, now we got possession of stolen property, felony, okay? But you had nothing to do with it? No. So what did you need the money for? I had to pay some of my court costs from another thing I got in trouble for. Oh, so he took the money from stealing the stuff. I have enough to charge him now with burglary. Simple as that. Well, did you see the picture on that camera of the house with the uh, Christmas decorations? This is a real case scenario. Yeah, did you go in that house? No, I didn't go into that one. <laughs> <laughs> so there's ways around it. There's ways to get around people who try not to talk to you. And, again, as Professor Dwayne said, if you wanted to go and say you wanted to go into a boxing match, $100 if you win. You've never boxed before. You have to face somebody who's an Olympic boxer. If you're going to lose, <laughs> you're going to face somebody who's been interviewing people for, in my case, 28 years. You're going to lose, unless you're purely innocent. Now, on the other side of it, I don't want to put anyone that's innocent in jail but I try not to bring anyone into the interview room that's innocent. And there are a couple that I have let walk away because they were innocent. Okay, the interviews. How do we approach the interviews? There's another way to approach interviews. There's a number of types of people that I deal with. First thing I do, anyone know what they get told first when they're in an interview? Miranda. Miranda warning. Okay, it's not a right. You don't have a right to Miranda. Those rights have always been there. It's called the Constitution. You're just teaching. You're doing a real quick class on the Constitution for these people. Usually they don't listen to it. And this is where I give my Miranda warning. Look, I have to tell you this. Just pay attention. Okay. They're usually sitting back or they're very attentive. You have the right to remain silent. You understand that? Yes. Anything you say may be used against you in a court. I don't have to say it will be. I say it may be. Okay. And they get that. You have a right to an attorney. And if you can't afford one, one may be appointed to represent you. Got that. You can decide not to talk, quit talking to me at any time and exercise these rights. Do you understand that? Sure. Now, before I do the primary thing that's needed with those rights, that's to get a waiver, I say, now, before you say anything, let me tell you what I know. And over all the time I've had to put together what this individual was supposedly involved, and I only say supposedly because Professor Dwayne's sitting over there, <laughs> that this individual was involved in, I will tell the story that I've put together, and it will be pretty close to what happened. And I can see this pretty close to what happened because that individual starts slumping down in their chair, 
or they put their hands in their face, doing this in their mind, oh, my God, I'm going to jail forever, okay? And I can see it. I said, now that you know what I know, do you want to talk to me? And why do I do that? Because if I didn't do that, if I said, do you want to talk to me, they'll say no. So I give them the time to think about, and then comes the next phrase. Now, before you start talking to me, let me tell you the difference between a lie and a truth. If you lie to me and I get before the judge and I tell the judge that you were dishonest with me, that's just not going to make them happy. But if I get before the judge and tell them you're honest, straightforward, willing to take uh, responsibility for your actions, that is going to help you. That's not a lie, though. That is true. In Virginia Beach courts, it will help them. You know, they may not get five years. They may get three years. They're still going to prison, or they're still going to have a felony, but it will help them. And then I have to determine what kind of person I have. And there's two types. There's one, like I mentioned to you earlier, where I have to talk to them, talk to them about different things, get into their own skin, as the word is, and try and get them to talk to me and discuss things. I had a sexual assault case. I had to talk to the guy how hot the woman was, and I understand where he was coming from. And when, that, when I said that, we were buds. And he started talking to me, and he's still sitting in prison. Okay, so you've got to get in there, and you've got to go places. The other side is I can't try and act like that individual acts. Okay, I can't try and act like what we call lovingly a hood rat. I can't try and act and talk like him because I'm an older white guy. We don't talk like that, and that would be an insult. And you can't insult people. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter where they grew up. It doesn't matter where they're from. You can't insult people like that. You have to be yourself. So you have to get in, into their mindset and the way they're thinking and have a discussion with them. The other type of person is the one who likes to tell a story. This young man, great man. I, I love him to death. He didn't go to jail because I went to bat for him because I felt sorry for him. He was a newlywed. He was having money problems. Former Marine. I said, tell me what happened. And he told me this beautiful story about what happened. What he had done is he had sold a piece of equipment that his ex-employer had had that he had stolen. He told me this beautiful story of what happened about him finding it on the side of the road and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't even question about him after he finished his whole story. Very unplausible, but very beautiful story. I sat there and listened to it for 15 minutes. I looked and I said, you stole the stuff from your boss, didn't you? Yes, sir, I did. <laughs> I had nothing. I really had nothing except the fact that he had sold it. So there's those, those types of people. And then the third type, the one who tries to be the hood, who tries to be the criminal, who cries like a baby when they walk in a jail, but when they're on the street, they're as tough, tough as rocks. You go in there with your paperwork, you sit down, and you just start doing paperwork. And usually I have a videotape sitting on top of it just for measure so they think I have a videotape. And you just sit there. Don't tell Miranda. Just sit there and wait for them to start talking because they will. They want to talk. People want to communicate. They hate silence. That's why when people speak, you hear, uh, hmm, when they're talking because they need to fill that void with something. People hate silence. So that's the other one. A couple tricks for the trade, and I'll share this with you for when you may go in an interview room. If you're going to be attorneys, it could happen. Uh, videotapes are wonderful things. I use a tape recorder. 
How many of you think if you saw a tape recorder, that would make you not want to talk? <laughs> yeah. They talk, and this is how I do it. I bring the tape recorder and say, look, I'm going to use this recorder because my writing's terrible. I can't read it if I write it down, so I'm going to use this. Is that all right with you? Don't have to ask me. Is that all right? Yeah, no problem. So I turn it on. And they watch the tape recorder. And if I have a problem with the interview, I'll say, I want to talk to you for a second, just off the record. Everyone here off the record? It's like a unicorn. No such thing. <laughs> I pick up the tape recorder. I pick up the tape recorder, and I go click and turn it off and set it right in front of them. And they look at the tape to make sure it's not turning. Interview rooms have microphones in them and video cameras. And everything that happens in there is recorded. My tape means nothing <laughs> because I'm recording it anyways. And then I start talking to them quietly, and they start telling me stuff. And they, start, they do something like that. It's just crying. <laughs> more crying. <laughs> so that's another way. So, so you see how there's an unlevel playing field here. Even with, with the most educated individual, there's an unlevel playing field. If you talk to the police, everything's going to be written down. If you get pulled over for for a, a ticket, they give you the ticket, and you pull off. You ever see the cop pull off right after you? Usually not. That's because on the back of their ticket, they're writing down everything you said. And it's going to come into court if you go to court. Everything that's said, I write down. Every phone call I make has to have a listening device on it. Is that illegal? How many parties need to know that a... Uh, phone conversation in Virginia is being recorded. One. Me. I know it's recorded. I get many, many confessions over the phone. Okay, back to the people. Yes, they're stupid. Okay, people are stupid. I had a young man who told me straight up, I'm going to college. I'm going to law school. I'm too smart. You'll never find out what happened. Okay. He was going to uh, Tidewater Community College, the law school love, I suppose, Tidewater Community College. <laughs> he was the partner to the one who I told you the interview about just a little while ago where I would ask him what he needed the money for. He was his partner. And he was very smart, so he thought. He thought he was a very intelligent individual. I ended up arresting him five times out of his house. His mother hated me. She liked me the first time. She apologized. She didn't really like me much the second time. It got to the point where she really hated me after that. He's doing eight years upstate. He's very smart because he decided to tell me how smart he was. And in telling me how smart he was, he let it slip that he doesn't sell stolen stuff to pawn shops. He sells it to flea markets because they do not have to report to the state. I know how to drive to a flea market just as good as anyone else and go look for stuff that I'm looking for. So he was trying to impress me with his ability to be smarter than I was, and he confessed. So people are inherently uh, stupid, especially criminals. Now, and don't get me wrong, there are some very intelligent criminals out there, and most of them work in really big office buildings and places. <laughs> <laughs> yep, she went to jail. Is she hurting? No. Uh, but there are some very intelligent street criminals out there as well that get other people to do their bidding and so forth and so on, and people are afraid to turn on them. 
but there are some very foolish people. Uh, just a couple other things. I do a thing usually with younger people, usually between the age of, uh, I try not to deal too much with juveniles, but between the age of 16 and, and 25, is once they've talked to me. Now, let's back up a little bit. You don't need a recording in court for a statement. As Professor Duane said, it's his word against my word if he was a defendant. Number one, and this is the way it works, and this is the way the real world works, in case you guys haven't been out there, that's outside the windows out there. The jury looks at a defendant sitting next to a, pros a uh, defense attorney. That's strike one, because the jury is already looking at that, some as that being someone who did something that put them in that chair. Number two, they get a uniformed police officer up there. They get someone wearing a suit as a detective up there that is a professional witness. That's strike two. So now they have a professional witness against them. And then if they've confessed, that professional witness is going to sit there and read from his or her notes the confession. That's strike three. Go get your orange jumpsuit. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. So they have all the strikes again. And I know you're innocent until proven guilty, but it's a jury of your peers. And the perception is if you're sitting next to a defense attorney, you have to prove you're innocent. And that's, that's just the perception of, of a lot of the jury, no matter how many jury instructions they get they still perceive that person is a hoodlum, is a criminal. And no matter how hard some defense attorneys try to put their clients in suits and have them sit up at the table, if the trial is a long trial, they fall back to their old ways and they start acting and speaking in a way that's not very good for their case. So saying that, you don't have to have a recording. My suppression hearing, a statement was trying to be suppressed because when I record, a confession or an interview, because we don't do interrogations, the police. We do not do interrogations. That's a bad, mean, Nazi kind of word, okay? We do interviews, okay? And you'd be amazed how much difference it makes when you use that one, one word, vices interrogation. I'll take it off the tape, and I'll have my secretary put it to paper. Immediately afterwards, I'll take that tape, and I'll scan it over my magnet, throw it in my box, so I can use it again. I do not keep the tape. It is not evidence. It's not required to be evidence. It is there. If it's there for the court, it's just extra. You don't have to have that. But it's really good to have. The suppression hearing, he tried to suppress that after I testified. The defense counsel stood up and said, well, judge, I really don't have anything to say. And the judge, Judge Canada, said motion tonight. And let's move on and go to court. So you don't have to have recordings. You don't have to have videotapes. The police videotapes, that's just extra. If you've got that police officer sitting there testifying, you don't have to have that videotape. You've got the guy that was right there to tell you what happened. But it's always nice to have those extra things. And what I do for these young people is I'll say, look, the person who you broke into their house are very upset. They're very angry because you sold their stuff at the pawn shop. Pawn shop stuff sold them. They don't get their stuff back. They're very angry. They want you to go to prison. Okay? They may be very angry. They want you to go to prison. They may want to. To lessen that, that's the start of what's commonly known as a lie because we are allowed to lie in interviews. To lessen that, you might want to make them happy. And the reason that's a lie is because when it is a felony in Commonwealth of Virginia, the victim has nothing to do with the prosecution or how long the people go to prison or any of that kind of stuff. We're prosecuting them, not the victim. But to lessen that, 
What I'd like you to do is write an apology letter to the person whose house you broke into. Just write it out. Well, how do I write it? In your own words, just write, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. Then say that, you know, when I broke into your house the other night, whatever. They write it out. They sign it. I sign it as a witness. I put the date and the time that it was written. I give it to the Commonwealth Attorney. It's entered as evidence as a written confession in the person's own handwriting. I don't type it up again and have them sign it. In their handwriting, a written confession. Is that person going to get convicted? I have never seen them not get convicted on that, on an apology letter. So in support of Professor Duane, everything he says is right. That's what I do. Now, to take away the support, I don't try and send innocent people to jail. That's it. That's all I have. Any questions or anything like that? Sir.
Right now, with the alternative, it's you know, no big deal. Russia can still be paid. As other countries are brought into that SWIFT or into the Russian system, they're going to move away from SWIFT. As they do, the dollar becomes less and less the world reserve currency. Our attempts to sanction Russia in our complex, intertwined world may turn out to be contrary to our own interests before this is all done. Lastly, worst-case scenario, the new clearing system that Russia is creating may become very attractive and lure a majority or even a supermajority of the trade participants to abandon the West scheme, this is what I was just talking about, where as a result the dollar would lose its usefulness and thus its de facto reserve currency status. It might not lose it, but it would be further diminished. Here's another point. This one, this is what's really interesting. Now, Bill Holter didn't nail this down tight, but he wrote the following. He said, during the recent explosive move higher in the dollar, it rallied nearly 15% in six months and nearly 10% of this in just the last two months. On Friday of last week, the first trading day of the year, something broke somewhere. For the dollar to move nearly a full 1% higher in a single day is not only a symptom, but also a financial killer. Uh, the, internal, uh, the International Monetary Fund claims there is a $9 trillion carry trade in the dollar. Just 1% of that amount uh, amounts to $90 billion. This implies that on Friday alone, when the dollar moved a full percent higher, somebody made $90 billion, and someone also lost $90 billion last Friday. Now, these are big moves. And the consequences, where this took place, he says something broke. He thinks something broke somewhere. Doesn't know where, doesn't know what broke, doesn't know where it broke. Did it happen in Denmark? Did it happen in, uh, who knows, any marketplace in the, on the face of the globe among one or more nations? He thinks something extraordinary would have happened last Friday to explain the dollar are going up 1% in the U.S. dollar index. He goes on and he says, lastly, it needs to be pointed out that gold was the number two currency on the planet last year as it dropped just over 1% versus the dollar. This, mean gold, this means gold rallied just about as hard in foreign currency terms as the dollar did. And we talked about that a little yesterday when I tried to explain the significance of the dollar, where the price of gold was only down 2% or nearly 2% <clears throat> over the course of 2014. And how to... Look at that in the context of an episode of deflation. It's actually evidence the dollar, or excuse me, gold, even though the price dropped slightly, it actually has more purchasing power today than it had at the first of the year, right? first of last year. Um, and he's touching on that same concept. Down here. He says, look, gold rallied just about as hard in foreign currency uh, terms as the dollar did. Second best currency. All the other currencies went down. Dollar and gold were the only two to go up. Looking at volatility, moves in the dollar, oil and many stock and bond markets. 
leads uh, uh, Mr. Holzer to believe there are huge margin calls and unfunded positions behind the scenes. He thinks something big has happened. Something broke. He says something broke on Friday. Now, I don't know that that's absolutely true, and neither does he. He admits this. He doesn't know where. He doesn't know what it was. But something had to explain a 1% move in the in the value of the dollar and the U.S. dollar index. Something had to explain that. He says some very strange events have taken place. He gives an example dealing with uh, Spanish bonds. I won't get into it. The dollar move on Forex, the foreign exchange markets these past weeks, tells him Two things. Either something blew up or the move itself blew someone up. In other words, either something something unintended happened in the foreign currency markets and something blew up and now we've got casualties. They're hidden, but they're there. Or the, the system intentionally caused the dollar to rise dramatically and in doing so caused some great damage to someone. Maybe intentionally, maybe by accident, but he thinks something strange is going on, something important. He says the action uh, we've witnessed is not normal and certainly not sustainable because of the derivative losses created. And all those derivatives still sitting out there. He thinks that Russia and China are working together because they are getting ready for what they expect to be a crash in the derivatives. He thinks China is preparing the yuan, the yuan to uh, send a reserve currency status, while Russia is preparing the clearing infrastructure mechanism. In other words, he's talking about Russia is setting up this alternative payment system, an alternative to SWIFT. And he thinks Russia and China, China wants the yuan to become the new world reserve currency, and Russia's going to operate the clearing infrastructure mechanism, the new alternative payment system, and he implies that he expects this new alternative payment system to run primarily on yuan. Now, these are guesses and speculation, but what rings my bell particularly is the idea something big happened last Friday that we don't understand yet. But he thinks maybe that's what's going on. As for the West, bail-ins have been legislated into law over the past year for a reason. And in fact, bail-ins, the right of banks to simply take money, if they're in a bind, they can take their depositors' money. I've seen other reports that indicate virtually every Western nation has included, has enacted legislation in the past year to allow for bail-ins. And as near as I know, that includes the United States. Which means if your bank gets into a bind, the government's not going to print a bunch of money to get it out. They're just going to allow the bank to take your funds out of your bank account and use it to save the bank. Bail-ins, not bail-outs. They're not going to be bailed out by the Federal Reserve, if we have another problem, they're going to be bailed in by the depositors, which is, you look at that and you think to yourself, hmm, do I really want to save my money in a bank, or do I want to save it in the backyard? Do I want something tangible I can hold on to, or do I want to trust the financial system to protect me? We'll be back in a moment, and I'm on financial I'm on financial Please stay tuned. 
this will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in an untested vaccine hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate in those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Or take your chances with the bad boys. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Does the cost and risk of conventional health care concern you? Wouldn't you prefer inexpensive solutions to health problems rather than disease management? If so, tune in to Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson every Tuesday and Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, where your health care options just became endless. Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. What's next, Melody? We're going to continue. We sold a boatload of those Men's State 61 $20 Liberty Gold pieces. You listeners, you know what a good deal is. We're going to continue the Men's State 61 $20 Liberty Gold piece. We're going to continue the $83 over a bullion gold coin for the price. So we've seen almost a $30 move in gold, but I'm going to increase this only by $20. So the price for a Mint State 61 $20 gold piece will be $1,371. So it's still a great, great buy. Give us a call, 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Make sure you visit our website at DGSCoin. Dot com. That's DGS for Discount Gold Silver Coins, C-O-I-N-S dot com. 
You can listen to our radio program there. It's archived on a daily basis, and you can listen to it live there also. And, of course, the newsletter that comes out weekly, American Survival. So uh, make sure you sign up for that. So, And it is only by email. We don't do hard copies. Uh, we don't mail them out um, at this point. If we had enough requests, you know, perhaps we could change that. But um, at this point in time, you know, Ali, we're talking about, uh, you know, the big increase in in, in the dollar. It's uh, it's unusual, and it is unusual. And uh, but certainly, we're talking about Russia. But you know, the sanctions against Russia it's also killing these uh, large European companies. And so it's funny that these sanctions are, are, are striking back at those who are placing the sanctions on Russia, and it is cutting both ways. And there's some, um, there's some um, EU divisions that are trying to make these sanctions, uh, over to overturn these sanctions. You have France, Germany, uh, along with Russia and Ukraine, and they're trying to set up talks in uh, Astana, Kazakhstan, to ease the tensions behind these sanctions uh, that have sent the ruble sinking and it also affected corporate Europe. And heavens forbid, if you affect any corporate bank or oil company, uh, food giants, uh, uh, of course they're going to you know, want to change things so they're not hurt anymore. So, but it's very difficult. The European rules complicate any attempt to modify the sanctions put into place um, and in order, a unanimous decision by the all 28 European nations is needed to change the sanctions. And uh, so, hey, if you get all 28 EU nations to come together, uh, they don't need the U.S. They'll, they'll change the sanctions. Um, so it's good in Europe. And I think that's what's broke. I mean, if you look at the euro, the euro is below 120. One point, it's almost 1.19. It was 1.18. I mean, that's what dropped out of the sky the same time the dollar went up. If you look at the uh, corresponding effect to the rise in the dollar, it was the drop in the euro. And uh, that's major. I mean, we had the euro almost at 1.40. I mean, I think it was like 138, 139. Now it's 1.18. So huge, huge hit on the euro. Again, we've had the Federal Reserve and our government telling us that what this country needs is more inflation, more inflation, more inflation to stimulate the economy. It's been their fundamental objective since 2008 is to create more inflation up until just recently, last in this last year, six months or so of the last year. Um, I, how, how hard is the euro hit? They want inflation. They want to go off and start printing their own money or printing their own currency, uh, excess sums of the euro. They want to do that in order to simulate inflation. If we're causing inflation, in theory, that's supposed to stimulate their economy. And yet people say, oh, my gosh, we have a problem. Same thing with Russia. We've caused inflation. If inflation oh. is suddenly bad for Russia, if it's suddenly bad for Europe, why was it ever a good idea for us? I think anymore we have so much inflation in our, you know, that has become so a part of our, I mean, what inflation number do we have to have? Do we have to have 63% like Venezuela? No. Do we have to have, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know that we have to have any. I mean, one of the points about inflation 
and deflation are both consequences of a fiat currency. Correct. All right? And what they necessarily mean is someone is being robbed. You go into inflation, the borrowers are entitled to rob the creditors because they get to pay off in cheaper dollars. You go into deflation, and in theory, the creditors get to rob the borrowers because the borrowers have to pay off with more expensive dollars. Now, the problem is that even in deflation, however, the borrowers can't or won't pay off in more expensive dollars and they'll default on their loans. So, again, the real point to both inflation and deflation is that they both rob creditors. Inflation robs creditors by making the dollar worth less. You borrow $100,000, you pay back the equivalent of $80,000 in you pay back 100000 but it's only got $80,000 in purchase power. Inflation robs the creditors. Deflation, in theory, would make the creditors wealthier at the expense of the borrowers, but the borrowers default on their loans. And now the creditors are again, they, they again take a beating because nobody's, not no one, but there's a significant proportion of the population that is not paying off their loans, and again, the creditors lose. And the real implication is that of this is that the fiat currency will be used to rob creditors. And when people hear the word creditors, they think, well, bankers, nobody cares if we rob the bankers. What we mean by creditors, ultimately, are people who are actually productive, not consumers. Consumers are borrowers. We're talking about the productive element of society that gets out and works, and they grow food, for example, and they grow more than they eat themselves, and therefore they sell some on the market to help feed you and me. These are producers. More. If they are producers and they live within their means, they're not out there trying to shop till they drop. If they earn $100,000 a year, they try to save 10000 20000 maybe more. When they save money from that they have produced, wealth that they've produced, when they save it, they're the ones that make money available or currency available to the consumers to borrow. If we wipe out the creditors, the productive element of society, then the whole nation becomes less productive. That can't be good. They're the ones that are laying little golden eggs that we use that are ultimately picked up in a little Easter basket or whatever, and they are made available to the banks, and the banks lend them to us. But virtually everyone who has a productive job, you're a producer. Right? I won't say that's true. People work for the government. You're not producing anything. But the rest of us are pretty much producing something. And I don't regulate, I don't regard government regulations as a productive product, a product of, you know, a productive capacity. Um, well, the point to all of this is that inflation and deflation are similarly immoral. And both of them are made possible by a fiat currency. And they are both morally different from a monetary system that's based on physical gold. If you borrow a thousand ounces of gold to build a factory or whatever it is you want to do with it, I don't know, or about a house, whatever it is you're going to do with it, an expensive house, a, factory, a small factory, a small business, whatever, you borrow a thousand ounces of gold, you repay a thousand ounces of gold, right? 
There's no BS about, well, it's become more expensive or more valuable or cheaper ounces of gold or more expensive. Uh, None of that. That's all part of a fiat currency. There is some variation in the price of gold over time. I get that. But basically, it holds its value. And it is a far more moral monetary system than we have right now. No one has to be robbed if we're being we're paying our bills and being paid in gold or silver. Nobody has to be robbed. With fiat currency, somebody's going to be robbed. Bet on it. Maybe the creditors, maybe the uh, borrowers, but somebody's got to be robbed to make fiat currency work. For me, this understanding makes clear that a nation is damaged by a fiat currency in a way that people don't understand, don't, don't anticipate, or maybe they did anticipate the people put in it, but we become an immoral people. If we're borrowers, we're in favor of inflation because we get to pay off our debts with cheaper dollars, which means we get to rob the creditors. If we go into deflation and people keep paying their bills, if they can, but if if it doesn't increase the rate of bankruptcy and default, then the creditors get to rob the borrowers. All by itself, these opportunities to rob other people twists our minds. It doesn't do us any good. We wind up with a Congress that's for sale to the highest bidder. And it's all about the money. It's not about what's good for the nation. It's not about what's good for the people. It's about more money, more money, more money. A fiat currency hurts us in ways that aren't just monetary, not just financial. They hurt us morally. It hurts us morally, in my opinion. And for that reason, if it's one of the reasons why you sit back and say, hey, you got to get away from this crazy stuff. This paper is dangerous. And when it comes time to dig out of the hole, we're digging for ourselves. And the 70% of the country who are consumers, and they are the ones that provide for this economy because they consume things, They are going to be much shocked and surprised when it turns out somebody's going to say, well, if you want to eat, you've got to go out and earn it. And they're going to say, earn it? What do you mean, work? Are you talking about working? We're just consumers. We We never signed up on this thing to actually work. We're coming to a time when that's going to happen. Coming to a time when people on welfare, people on government subsidies and pensions, and they're going to discover that if they want to eat, they're going to have to actually grow some food. And if they don't know how or don't have the resources to do so, they are going to pay a serious price. They are going to suffer enormous shock, rob their neighbors. I don't know where it's all going to wind up, but it's part of this moral idea. If you want to eat, you've got to grow some food. I don't mean that everybody, everyone has to be a farmer. But you've got to do something productive. You can't just show up and say, I'm here. I've got a check from the government. I'd like to spend it on some ho-hos and some, you know, ripple. You're going to have to find a check from a productive source. The whole consumer economy is in jeopardy, and we've been put there by this fiat currency, and we're not going to get out of this painlessly. 
No, we're not. And you know what? I saw an interesting uh, going back to Russia, and uh, now we can talk a little bit about uh, John Boehner today. Um, here you have a couple that took out a mortgage on a two-room apartment seven years ago, and uh, this is in Russia, in St. Petersburg. And now, like thousands of other Russians, and you know, same thing is going to happen here, um, except with a little bit of a difference. Uh, uh, they're beginning to see their dream unravel as they can't make the payments. They're working longer hours and they're working second jobs, and that's because a large part of the uh, a part of the minority of Russians took out mortgages that were denominated in a foreign currency dollars to take. Well, out. well this one. No, this one was actually in Swiss francs. Okay. But they took these mortgages out, denominated in foreign currencies, to take advantage of the lower rates that, uh, abroad. And now that the currency is collapsing, the cost of repaying these mortgages have gone through the roof. Yep. And they gathered in November, this couple gathered their entire monthly salary and that of her husband and took it to the bank and the sum was still not enough to cover the new monthly payment. So I found that interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's real interesting. Um, so, you know, lots of things uh, happen. They trusted in foreign currencies. They didn't trust the ruble. They did trust in foreign currencies, but they trusted ultimately in fiat currencies. They did, but it also goes to show you that, uh, you know, things are very expensive out there. And in order to get a small two-room apartment in St. Petersburg, they had to do that in order to afford it. So it's similar to here. People did all kinds of things here uh, in order to afford a, a home uh, that they wanted. And uh, they ended up paying the price trying to go after um, a mortgage that eventually they couldn't afford. And, and, they not, and they're not prepared for any bad situations that come their way. So what do you think they're going to do? So we're going to go to break. Oh, is that what we're going to do? Good prediction. We've got uh, the break coming at the same time Melody predicted we're going to have the break. I'm Alfred Addis, here on Financial Survival. Melody Cedarston, we'll be back. Please stay tuned. relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866 866- 
888-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010. Or order online at the three W's dot thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Remember, folks, Men's State 61, $20 Liberty gold pieces, $1,370, just $83 over what a boy in gold eagle would cost. So for the small spread, it's a great opportunity um, to pick up some Men's State 61, $20 gold pieces. If you don't have any, it's great to add to your portfolio. And if you already have them, it's a great way to, con- to, to accumulate even more. So give us a call at 800-375-4188. And uh, I thought perhaps uh, the, the new Republicans would have the uh, uh, opportunity to eliminate uh, Boehner to replace them. And uh, they couldn't do it, Al. They didn't do it. And um, so it just goes to show you it really is the same old thing. <laughs> same old, same old. I understand. They at least suggest that there's forces at work that are behind the scenes and Vayner's part of the problem in the same way that the Clintons are part of the problem. He's a made man, essentially, and he's part of the New World Order, and they're going to keep him there in the same way they're going to keep Obama there, and not necessarily for the benefit of the American people. There were two dozen Republicans that voted against the Speaker, and... um, so it's so that's the last that's the last lobbyist dollar you're gonna see. Yeah. And you know, we talked about the, the the Boehner and McConnell, they already set in motion you know, this process to, to vote on the Keystone pipeline. And, uh, you know, thinking that this is going to be a job creator, haven't they been reading the news about oil dropping into the 40s? And, and again, haven't they read that Obama has already came out and said that he's not going to sign it? So, again, they're just wasting their time. Uh, of course, they don't have anything else to do, but uh, they're just wasting their time. And, you know, Keystone is supposedly the first thing on their agenda. And... Um, 
You know, it's just what should just be the first same on the agenda for the American What should be first on the agenda for the American people, Melody? Well, what do you think it should be? I don't know. One thing they might do. You know what I'd like to see? I don't know that it would make a serious difference economically in this country, but I'd like to see people in Washington who actually thought they even they had to obey the law. I'd like to see a president who said, listen, we're going to seal the borders and we're not taking any more illegal aliens. And we're not going to try to cover it up by saying, oh, they're undocumented workers. No, they're illegal aliens. They don't need guns to invade this country because we don't bother to defend it. But the fact is they are illegal. And yet we have a government that says, oh, that's okay. That's not a problem. I'd like to see, I'd like to see them do something in Washington where the politicians themselves actually had to obey the laws. I don't expect to see it, but I think it'd be a good thing. What else could we do that's good for this country? We, we might do something. How about how about an actual inventory of how much gold do we have at Fort Knox and in the United States Treasury? That's not that big a project. Let's do the inventory and restore public confidence in the government, assuming they still have the gold. They claim they have the gold. Let's find out if they really have the gold. You know, it's, it is about confidence to this degree, uh, at least to some degree. We've got a government that won't enforce the law. Let's enforce the law right? on illegal aliens. It would restore confidence for the American people. How about we stop meddling with everybody's problems overseas and feeling it's our obligation to kiss everybody's boo-boos? Fall down and skin your knee, Obama's got to kiss your little knee. No, he doesn't. A lot of this stuff is just part of life, you know. What are we going to do about Obamacare? It's certain that we can't really afford it. It's not really helping us. They'll continue it. They will not voluntarily give it up. I don't know. Somebody ought to actually start obeying the law. Someone ought to start fulfilling their promises. There's a new, there's a new website that I haven't seen that I've heard about where they are tracking politicians' promises. They're telling them, here's what they promised. Right? During the election, they said, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and here's what they've done. And I just heard about it last night on another talk radio program, and I don't remember the name, but it's got something to do with promises. Uh, it's a conservative it's a conservative website, supposedly, and it's Promises is part of the name, and I can't recall, but I think it's a great thing. It's going to create a coherent source of information about who is actually living up to their promise. A promise, you promise, promise. I mean, this is like a seduction. It's not an election. It's a seduction. <laughs> Do you really love me? Oh, yeah, 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 sure. That's what the politicians, they sure us all very love us. But the truth of the matter is, they just say that to get elected. And what they love is the money. And if you don't have any money for them, go away. They don't need to hear from you except around election times, and that's when they lie to you and seduce you, and then they go on and hustle money for the balance for the next two years if they're in office for the next six years if they're in the Senate or whatever. This country needs a boost in morality. It needs somebody to set an example. Not, you know, like Obama. Does anyone really 
think that man has any morality that should be worthy of respect? Does anyone think the man is motivated by a system of morality that should inspire our support? Or is he just another grinning con artist? Well, that's what I think the country needs. We need somebody up there in office who actually does what's right. Not there to, you know, if you want to get along, if you want to get along, you got to go along. No. Get up there, set your heels, this is wrong, I'm not doing it. That's all. If we had more of that, perhaps this country would make some sort of a recovery. And if you look at the names that are being tossed around for 2016, it just kind of makes you want to – that's just really amazing. I mean, again, you it's the same ones, Chris Christie, you know, Jeb Bush. Uh, um, I well, mean, you need a third Bush in the White House. No, and it's just like this is the biggest thing since, you know, this is it. You know, yeah, and it's the same ones. There's another guy. Uh, you know, he had the uh, he was the preacher. He had his Fox News program, um, Huckabee. 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 I mean, it's like, what's wrong with these pets? Yeah. Well, at least Huckabee doesn't have any. His daddy wasn't president. His grandfather wasn't president. So I don't know. I don't necessarily know that Huckabee is such a bad idea, but Jeb Bush, I don't want to know. Oh, Bush in the White the House. Same, God's the same sake. names. I understand the same that. Same people over and over again. And what does that there mean? Hasn't it been... means they are insiders. It means they're connected. It means they are going to fight to maintain the existing system, which has pretty much followed this country up in ways that won't be easily corrected. And since Ron Paul left, I mean, you don't see any more, you don't hear any more questions, uh, uh, debate against these politicians, against, uh, you know, Janet Yellen. I mean, it's just, they just sit there and they just go along with everything. I mean, Ron Paul was the only one who questioned and, and argued with these people. And everybody else just goes right along with the program. It's really... It's just another example of... The system has been captured by people who operate the government and operate this economy for the benefit of special interests rather than for the benefit of the general the, the general welfare, which is a term they use in the preamble of the Constitution. They're not working for the general welfare, and there's absolute evidence of that, and that is the middle class has been badly diminished. They're working for the general welfare. They'd be working people on Main Street would be doing well rather than Wall Street. If they were working for the general interests of the American people, the middle class would be growing rather than shrinking. And all of this, you lose that middle class. This is part and parcel of this inequality of income between the rich, the super rich, and the majority of the American people that are sliding more toward the lower, what we might call the lower middle class. It's like two ends of a barbell. It's big at the top and it's big at the bottom, but there's not that much in between. If you want a stable economy, you've got to have a big middle class. You've got to have a strong middle class. And they're saying, to heck with that. The middle class are the people government likes to rob. And so the middle class is diminishing. This is, again, evidence. Government is not here for the general welfare of the American people. 
something's got to be done about that, and it's got to be addressed. And I don't think it's going to be addressed by either the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. And again, I'm inclined to believe what this country really needs is a viable third party. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that's crazy talk, couldn't possibly happen. In fact, it's not that hard. In most presidential elections, you only get 45% of their ballots and the people to vote. And half the country doesn't even vote in presidential elections. In a two-party election, you need 22 23%. That's all you need. 25% is plenty to win. The support of 25% of the eligible voters is more than enough to win the presidency in a two-party election. But if you get a three-party election, and we still have only 50% of the public voting, you can win with as little as maybe 14%. You're talking about one man or woman in seven is all it takes in a close election. You can win with as little as one in seven. And I guarantee that seventh is out here who if they knew what was going on and would be willing to vote, not because they don't want to waste their vote, which is one of the dumbest ideas you can get into. So I'm going to vote for I'm going to vote for George Bush or Jeb Bush because I don't want to waste my vote on some third party that can't win. Well, you just keep on voting for the Democrats and the Republicans and watch how it all turns out. You're going to have to waste your vote this year, perhaps in order to set the stage for the next election two years later. And I don't even use the term, I'm using the word wait or waste. I'm using the word waste and waste your vote. I'm using that, you know, sarcastically. Politics isn't, you know, it's not an event. It's a process. This year sets the stage for next year, and the year after that, and the year after that. And if you won't make the effort now when you might not win, you are never going to win. So uh, it would be another third party, viable third party. Not that hard. We need a seventh of the people to actively support one man, one woman in seven. And I'll guarantee you they're out there. We probably have one in three, if not one in two, who really support the ideas that are being espoused by people like myself and Melody and programs like this one. We don't need a majority. The way the system is functioning, the fact that half the people don't bother to vote. We need a seventh, an eighth in a three close three-party election. A seventh, no, a sixth or a seventh, somewhere in that way. If you get 20%, you could sweep this whole country. 20% is enough in a, if a third party was, was put together. We need this active support of 20% of the American people to take this whole country back. The point behind this, it's all possible. We are not helpless pawns unless we care to see ourselves as such. We can do this. This is doable. <clears throat> Hasn't been done yet, but and certainly there'd be forces, active forces, and wealthy forces that would work against the creation of a viable third party. But just because there would be adversaries doesn't mean it can't be done. And from my perspective, it would be a great blessing if it worked. So what else, Melody? Do you have a suggestion of what third party 
trials for treason? What do you think? I mean, it is possible. It, it, yeah, it, it, is. it just it just seems like these folks just. Uh, I mean, you had look at Ross Perot. I mean, he, there's no one that inspires people anymore, yeah. and, and and maybe they maybe they can, but without mainstream media, it makes it a little more difficult for them. It's certainly more difficult to to inspire people by radio. There's so much, you know, uh, it's better if they can be if they can be seen, uh, uh, like the way by way of television, but uh, and. Um, but uh, certainly it can be done. It's just uh, you have to find the right person that can inspire this excitement. There's no excitement. There's, there's one other side. We're going to run out of time here. And I don't want Frank to start playing the piano because he gets mad when he has to play the piano suddenly. But in any case, we'll talk more about this tomorrow. Um, I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedar on Financial Survival. We want to thank you, as always, for listening to the program. Hope you'll tune in again tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me.
$149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can be neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. Your neighbors, the mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, meds, food, clothing, and salt. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Project, a one-hour public program on the American Voice Radio Network. Featuring Pastor Dan of the Messiah's Branch Ministry. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Greetings, saints, and welcome to the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We are broadcasting live from the Foothills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is November 6, 2014. Anyway, the phone number, of course, is 
in an emergency, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886, 316-619-4886. You can always find updates of breaking news, our radio program archives, and our mailing address at our blog, which is at prophecyhour.com. Now, in the right-hand column, there's several ways to listen to the program. But the one that has a little box with the with a meteorite hitting the ocean and it looks like an angel standing there blowing a trumpet, that little box it says in time radio archives. That leads you to the podcast site that has all of the radio programs in it. And that place is really smartphone friendly. In fact they even have an Apple app and an Android app on Google Play so that you can download it to your um, smartphone. As I realize that most people nowadays like to listen on their smartphones, so uh, which is pretty cool. You, in most new cars, you can or cars with new radios, you can get into it and it'll pick up your your smartphone and play whatever you're listening to right into your car radio. So consider that, and I also challenge you, as normal, to go out and share the program with two or three other people. Now, remember, that blog is prophecyhour.com. That's prophecyhour.com. And that's like a hub for all our ministries because you can find links to every part of our ministry right there. Okay, now prayer will bring on tonight's guest. Dear Heavenly Father, in Yeshua HaMashiach's name, I pray, Father, I just really pray that tonight you wake up some people and that you give our guests out there ears and wish to hear the truth, and that the program will go according to your will and not our will, but to your will, Father, so it will bless you and not us. And you sure how much you name, amen, and amen. Well, tonight's guest been on with us before. He has a ministry called the Sure Word of Prophecy Ministries. And he says this on his website. I copied it over here to read it to you. For over 20 years, I've been studying with the depth of prophecies concerning the return of Jesus. There are many different eschatological viewpoints on the Christian theologies. In fact, in fear of being labeled a sensationalist or paranoid, I choose to be reserved in sharing much of my understandings of prophecy. Really? I haven't noticed that about you, Steve. In the last couple of years, some very amazing changes have transpired in the Middle East. I am. I hold the opinion that we are looking at the final shaping of the Earth's final movements towards eternity. Amen. I can no longer be quiet about this. The Sure Word of Prophecy Ministry's mission is to help believers to understand Bible prophecy, prepare them for the return of Jesus or Yeshua, as I would say, to make unarguable, argumentable, or arguable presentation to the believers that there is a God who knows the end from the beginning. It is my desire to share the prophetic word to turn many agnostics, atheists, and scoffers, providing them with enough evidence for them to turn to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. I asked what he was going to talk about tonight, and I won't tell you what the first thing he said, because it'll like that title better, but he's calling tonight's program Going Through the Tribulation. So let's now welcome Steve Henderson. Are you there with me, Steve? Grace and peace to you, Brother Dan. It's been been a long time. Yeah, but you've been busy, you know. Um, I, I think you made some end time preparations yourself. Yes, uh, there's been <laughs> there's been a lot of a lot of things going on in my life personally. Uh, uh, Lord led me out to uh, the wilderness out here. I think uh, as we see the day approaching, uh, there's a lot of rapid changes going on even here in. In Oklahoma, and, and just looking around just a little bit kind of makes you a little paranoid, but 
Uh, I'm out here on five acres of ground out in the rural area. Uh, the God is, uh, it is great and awesome timing put me out here. And I have some of the best soil in the world. I'm looking forward to a garden and uh, and hopefully being able to help others uh, when this time comes so that we see rapidly approaching. You know, it's one thing to see the changes going on in the world, but down here where I live, uh, there's been some strange trend of events. I'm sure you heard about the beheading at the workplace down here in Oklahoma, yeah. uh, Muslim convert. Yes, I did. And in fact, it, I, I don't know, I'm sorry for laughing, but it, I know a couple of people it, it, it scared, um, you know, it, it brought them to reality, you know, like shock. Oh, that can happen here. Um, yeah. And so um, while it wasn't good, um, I'm glad to see that some people are paying attention. Yes. Did you hear about the Black Mass in Oklahoma City that happened at the Civic Center downtown? Yeah. In and, Oklahoma you know, City? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let me give you a minute about Oklahoma. You know, folks, I don't know if most of you know about what you know about Oklahoma, but you go down to Oklahoma and there's churches everywhere. And yeah. Oklahoma has been one of the most God-fearing country, uh, you know, states in the Union. And so for, uh, I don't know, again, while I'm laughing, I guess out of disgust, uh, Oklahoma to have these things going on, like the Black Mass and, and the beheading, uh, just shows that the devil's trying to really attack at the hearts of Christianity is all I can phase out of it. But that's not natural to Oklahoma. It sure isn't. Just a couple of weeks ago, Brother a man urinated on a monument outside the state capitol displaying the Ten Commandments in Oklahoma City. Then he got his car and the devil told him to run over to the display. He ran the car in the Ten Commandments monument and broke it in two. <laughs> and this is the very place where the same location where uh, there's a Satanist group out of New York who is, is putting together a statue of their own to try to erect next to the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know what they're going to do with rebuilding the Ten Commandments monument, but they were planning plans to put a satanic um, erection statue yeah. uh, near the Ten Commandments at the state capitol, and the proposal was to put up a statue in response to the placement of those Ten Commandments that fell in 2012 on the Capitol grounds. And, it, you know, it, it triggered a lawsuit in the state district court here in Oklahoma by four plaintiffs, and one of them was a Baptist attorney, uh, a Baptist minister, I'm sorry. And, you know, what is amazing to me, just in this small little microcosm of society here in Oklahoma, there's a lot of odd things going on. Uh, they were going to put a statue uh, next to Ten Commandments called the Bohemus, or a sabbatic goat, which uh, has an image of, with roots in the Inquisition, and now it's a widely recognized symbol of Satanism. And they want to put it right next to the uh, Ten Commandments uh, statue right here in Oklahoma City. Uh, and by the way, one more thing, uh, Pastor Dan, same-sex marriage now is legal in Oklahoma. Just last month, Oklahomans uh, came out of the closet and began to marry after a surprise move by the Supreme Court. Now, uh, because they decided they didn't want to put on the issue of the ban of the same-sex marriage uh, uh, before them, so it actually allowed 30 states to uh, marry homosexuals and lesbians, and now Oklahoma is that. And here we are right in the heart of the Bible Belt. Uh, I don't know about you, brother, but that song, North of Alaska, is becoming more and more appealing to me. How about you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but, you know, brother, we have to be where God the Father wants us to be. But I'll, I'll say this about that same-sex marriage thing. I just noticed in the news the other day here in Kansas that a judge has now ordered uh, Kansas uh, that our law that we have that says no same-sex marriage 
is unconstitutional and that um, that we are to uh, allow it now. But he uh, waiting the implementation until the state has a time to appeal. But you know, we came out in election, we retained our, our our governor and everything. And but this is what happens when the, the Supreme Court stayed out of it. You, we're seeing major attacks of Christianity going on all yeah. over this country. Absolutely, brother. And you know, there's an old proverb that I take to heart. It says, "The wise foresee the evil and hide from it, but the simple pass on." And they're punished. Our eyes ought to be wide, wide awake right now. And I'm very thankful to be sitting out on those five acres. Uh, and, uh, and thankful that God has led and confirmed this in, in several ways. So it's been a while, Brother Dan, and uh, I deeply appreciate your invitation uh, to be on the program. Well, amen. I'm, I'm glad to have you on. And uh, I, I'm curious to see what the Father's put on your heart because there, there has been a little bit of transpire. Uh, time oh, transpired since last you've been on, but there's been a lot happened out there since then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you, I've been in deep prayer uh, after you uh, gave me the invitation to come on, and uh, it just keeps coming back to me. Uh, the the plight of the, the the Christians that are are suffering around the world, and, and the prophetic word which spotlights a coming tribulation that, in my estimation, many believers are now entering into. Uh, whether we want to hide our hand, our head in the sand and ignore it, uh, this old fat high on the hog America don't understand it very much. Yet, but for many, yes, they are already there, my friend. And I want to share a few stories as to why I believe it uh, and, and demonstrate that, along with, uh, taking a look at uh, what Yeshua and the prophets had to say about this subject, uh, they foretell a time when there's going to be massive hate and killing of Christians, whether we want to uh, look at those scriptures or not, they're in there. And the prophecies that clearly proclaim that at the end, attacks from God's chosen will be one of the main events that brings down Yahweh's judgment and intervention in Earth's final movements. What do you think? I agree with you most fully, um, and I do agree that m- m- most real believers that believe that we're in the end time are starting to enter into that tribulation. Absolutely. Yes, sir. So I would like to take us on a little bit of journey with a little bit of time I have left here, brother, and um, and just do some considering this evening about, number one, our calling, uh, about following in Savior's footsteps. You know, as much as I would love to see Christians, including myself and family, removed from this coming trouble, as many propagate in their, their idea of the, uh, the, the pre-trip rapture, uh, it really would not serve in the main mission of our Father to remove those uh, who, are, who he calls light and salt and, and uh, co-workers with him. It just doesn't make a bit of sense to me. And, you know, there's so many sitting in the darkest prison houses of sin uh, what would it what would it be for the light to be removed from it? And there's ample evidence to recognize that uh, in this scripture that, that God is not willing that any should perish. Uh, so remember, just before Yeshua would give his life to save humanity, he prayed for those who would be his followers, and he clearly stated uh, a few things. And I'd like to start with uh, John 17, and I hope you have your Bibles because we're going to read some scripture, and we're going to just look at it right in the face tonight about this concept that we better be preparing to go in to this tribulation. Um, in John 17, verse 14 and 15, Yeshua uh, prayed before his father for his believers, and he said this, 
I have given them your word, and the word has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Again, he proclaimed his followers, you light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, and no one can spread the light and be hiding under some candle for them. The light has to be set up on a candlestick, and it has to be infiltrated the darkness in order for it to be effectual. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. And so he, he, he prayed that the, what, what good would it have been for him to, to know what was ahead of his believers um, he allowed whatever happened to those believers, uh, and he prayed. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And we all recognize in history, and even, uh, you know, you read the, the, the Fox Book of Martyrs and other uh, particular uh, writings of history, all of the disciples, with the exception of one, uh, wound up dying martyrs' deaths. And yet, uh, the uh, historian Tertullian said that when a Christian died for his faith and the, and, and the world saw how faithful they were to the cause, a seed sprung up and the gospel spread like wildfire because of the faithful Christians who even gave up their lives for their faith. And in the end, I see the same exact thing happening, uh, and, and that will, will create a worldwide awakening, and bring the message to the ends of the earth, uh, as the scripture declares. Let me sure. give you something to back that up. I had Joel Richardson on here a couple of weeks ago, and mm-hmm. you know that brother has been ministering over in the Balkans, and over in, he's, he's getting ready to go back to Egypt. He came back here to release his movie, End Time Eyewitness, but he told me that Muslims that are fleeing, uh, there's a great revival going on. There's Muslim, now remind you, in the Middle East, in that same area, all these Christians have died for their faith. They've been beheaded, and they've been crucified, and all these things, right? Okay, well, these refugee Muslims that are flooding into Egypt are now being saved because they saw the trueness of how evil Muslim, you know, Islamists can be, and so they're turning to Christianity because of these guys being slaughtered, and so it's doing the exact thing that you said, because they witnessed the, the crucifixion of, of other of Christians, they're becoming Christians, and that's a revival in Egypt going on right now. In fact, Joel's heading back over there because he wants to be part of it. Oh, I would just love to be able to sit down with him and, and uh, hear some of the stories of, you know, actually go over there. For me, uh, like I say, I think I'm going to hang over here. Uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure I'm going to go over that in that area right now, especially the powder cake that I see. Uh, but anyway, yes, uh, all the believers suffered hardship, and the majority died for their witness of truth. He should have warned, in the world you might have tribulation. Is that what he said? No, he said in the world you will have tribulation. But every time you find that type of a statement, uh, you also find a promise or a very encouraging word. He said, but be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. In another testament by the Apostle Paul, he prophesied that the believers must enter in the kingdom with little tribulation. Is that what he said? No, he said that you will enter in the kingdom with much tribulation. Now, I think uh, we need to, to define tribulation, which we will do, do here in just a little bit. But how about the verse that says, a few who live godly 
in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Is that what it says? No, it says that all who live godly will suffer persecution. And this is one of the subjects, brother, that we really don't want to listen to or even hear about, because for most cases, for those who are not strong in their faith, that scares them flat to death, right? And, and but who are we to believe that we will escape the same as our brethren who were before us? And for what reason? You know, there are many stories in the Bible that reveal that the people of Yahweh went through great testing. And when the faithful stood up and everyone else fell down, Yahweh would ensure himself, confirm his presence, and intervene on the faithful's behalf. For example, Daniel, when the state decree went out not to pray, he remained faithful and prayed even in the face of a death sentence. He knew he would be thrown to lions, and when he remained faithful, the Almighty shut up the lion's mouth, and no harm came to him. Hallelujah. Yahweh did not keep Daniel from the lion's den, but he saved him in it. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the image when the band played, they stood up and were thrown into the fire that was seven times hotter than normal. And the king of kings did not keep them from the fire, but they looked down there and they saw a fourth in the fire. Uh, and, and when they came out, they uh, came out uh, better than, than, than even walking to a, a, a spoken restaurant. They, they just burned out their, uh, their uh, restraints and not a hair on their head was fringe. You know, I'm wondering who besides the king that day was converted uh, when, they, when they witnessed something like that. These staple witnesses served Yahweh's ultimate plan to show the kings entrenched in idolatry that there was indeed one who had control over the elements. And that's why he's always done it, and he will always do it that way. And there are no ands, ifs, and buts about it. Historians recognize and speak of the gospel, spreading like wildfire, as a faithful witness of stayed strong, even to their death. And I'm concerned, my friend, about this secret rapture uh, uh, thing that is being taught. And, and uh, please, uh, don't, don't think I'm a hard nose, but I just believe it's time to give the trumpet a certain sound and then take a good, hard, honest look at what is going on around us with our persecuted uh, Christian brothers and sisters. And it is happening all over the place. And it, it, unfortunately, uh, I should say fortunately. It hasn't uh, come to this country yet, but there are all kinds of indicators that it's heading this way by the, some, of the, uh, some of the threats we hear from ISIS and others that America is going to be targeted. And what would happen, Amber, there are uh, lone rangers out here that, that are now uh, creating terrorist uh, acts, but what if there are cell groups here in this country who are just waiting for the command. Uh, Iran says they're here, and they say that all they're waiting for is just a command from us to unleash uh, the, um, whatever it is they, they want to unleash. And so the Bible declares that God has always had those who have been faithful through tribulation. Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 33 through 40, says this. So those who through faith have built kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens, women received their dead to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. You know, there are some through the time of testing get stronger, 
and 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 uh, they quenched the violence of fire, and they escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness, they were made strong, and it became valiant, even stronger. They turned to flight the armies of aliens. So in tribulation and trial, there are those who, who become stronger when they are faced with with adversity. But then there are still others who had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were thrown into them, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute. Okay, I'm going to have to interrupt. Hey, we're almost at break. We're 30 seconds from break time. Why don't you give your website and we'll go to break? Absolutely. On the website, if you uh, want to read about some of the things going on with the Christian uh, brethren around the world, I, I, I try to keep uh, uh, those uh, informed. www.surewordprophecy.org is my website. Surewordofprophecy.org, and folks, you can find that uh, any place that you're listening to this. So we'll be back in three minutes. Dan will be right back. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LMB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 541- That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Unemployment insurance running out. Jobs leaving the country. 
many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can be either. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. Your neighbors, the mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 
you know, keep this program on the air that keeps the people fed and the people clothed and so on and so forth. So please pray about it. It's also wintertime now. We need all the wintertime things like uh, over-the-counter medications, painkillers, cough syrups, and all those things. And, of course, prayers go out with those things, but those are still real needs. You know, while you sure it does heal people, you know, not everybody, you don't get healed of every ailment in the world. You still have colds. You still experience flu. Tell me what pastor out there that hasn't experienced flu in their life, and, well, we won't talk about that. So point being is everybody gets sick sometime, and so pray about supporting these things. Really, people come in, they just ask us for help, and we help them. So please pray about it. We really could use your support tonight. Um, if you can, by uh, electronic means, or you can send us a check or money order, and you can find all the information on how to support us at prophecyhour.com. I'll be putting something special up there about Thanksgiving because I, I know local people. I know I've got a lot of local people nowadays listen to me in Wichita. So if you want to get a hold of me and I'll put you in touch with my wife and you want to help cook turkeys and maybe debone them and bring them down or maybe bring down some pies, you know, um, that's a better good way you can help. Without giving cash, you can give labor. So pray about it. Anyway, you can find all this information at prophecyhour.com or call me at 620-878-4682 or 316-619-4886, 316-619-4886. And now we're back talking with uh, Steve Henderson, talking about going through the tri- tribulation and not flying out, I guess. Are you there with me, Steve? I'm here, and I'm still walking toward it. Okay. I'm telling you, brother, uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not running from it. You know that yeah. armor makes no provision for the backside, so whatever we are facing ahead, we got to face with the armor on. Oh, allow me to ask you one thing before I get started here. Did you hear about the uh, the man who was arrested for giving out food at a at a, at a, at a I guess a street ministry? Did you hear about that? Uh, actually, that was an older pastor. He is 90 years old. Any year old pastor, they arrested him. <laughs> yeah, they can arrest me any time if they want. You know, I, I, I just, we just do, what, you know, here, let me tell you a, a real, real brief story. You know, in the city of Wichita, there's lots of guidelines for, um, you know, having, you know, whether it's a kitchen in a certain way or having a certain amount of people here and space there and everything. But those rules are all set forth in for corporations, and, you know, most churches are a 5013C corporation. Well, when, you know, I've asked them before, I said, well, does that apply, those rules apply to a church? And they said, you mean a 5013C? I said, no, a, a church. And they always say, well, I have to get back with you, Pastor, because there's nothing written, there's no laws that are written, you know what I'm saying, to a church. Church has more latitude because it's just that. It's a church. But when you become a corporation, you fall under corporate rules, and those are the things that are written in the law. And so um, that's just something to know. And, yeah, of course, you know, not only are we, somebody can get a donation from, you know, we send a thank you note. We don't send a receipt. We send a thank you note. A lot of people use it in their taxes if they choose to, but. That's the way it is, and we've been going. The Mission Church has been going for 15 years. Well, good for you, brother. Uh, you keep up the good work. You might get arrested one day, but uh, 
you, uh, you, you keep the works to the end, and you're going to get a crown right, eh? <laughs> yeah, I was in shock when I heard about this 90, 90-year-old pastor who they told him to drop his plate like it would tell him to drop a gun, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then arrested the guy. I mean, here in this country, don't think yeah. it's not coming here. Uh, there are places here that you, if you speak out against, uh, back down in Houston, they uh, just recently were saying that they they want to to monitor all the all the pastors down there and what they were speaking about. Uh, I think I think we're uh, it's heading our way, and I don't think we really recognize it because we have our eyes open. Let me throw something into the pastors in Houston. You know, they finally backed off of that, but uh, I looked into the yeah. reality of it and the trap that they technically legally. Even though that could have been a real court battle, because those pastors are 5013C pastors, they're corporations, and there's certain corporate rules that they agree to go with. One is not to use political speech. So they may very well have been able to legally do that to them for being a corporation. So pastors out there, you need to really think about that. You don't need a 5013C to be if you want, if it's because of taxes and donations. No, you don't need it for all that. You just have to be a church and function as a church. Back to you. Amen, amen, brother. Well, um, it's pretty evident that the, the, the limelight and the, the microscope is being put on Christians around the world. And uh, hopefully we can prepare ourselves mentally and spiritually for this coming surge against Christianity. And it's already here in a lot of the world. We just don't recognize it because it's not here a whole lot. But it is coming to the shores of America. I believe it with all of my heart. And Yeshua said it was going to become a whole, all the whole world. And so that includes the United States of America, by the way. He made a statement as he began to speak about the signs of his coming. And in the heart of uh, him uh, elaborating about the days of Noah and how it would be that, uh, that would be compared to those days and the days of Lot, which we can sure see uh, going on around the world here, uh, he makes a statement that I think would be well for us to deeply consider. It's found in Luke 17, verse 33 through 37, and please allow me to read that. Yeshua declares, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, in this particular statement, there's a lot, it's a mouthful, and we could go on for several minutes about this one statement, but there's an attitude here. And uh, I think that at some point in time, it's very obvious that we're going to be in a place where we're going to have to get our, our faith tested. And, and there may be some of us, and it, as I will um, share with you in a minute, that are going to go through a tremendous uh, fire. And I think it's high time for us to recognize that we're going to go in it, and we're not going to be removed from it. I, I, it, it, it almost makes me mad to hear these these preachers preach, oh, brother, don't worry about it. We're not going to be here, and, uh, you know, the righteous be gone, and we can be left here to, you know, to battle one another. But what would be the sense? But according to the Scripture in the same context, he says this, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken, and the other left. Two will be grinding together, the one will be taken, and the other left. Two will be in the field, the one will be taken, 
and the other left. And he answered and said to him, We're the Lord. And he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles or the flesh-eating birds or vultures will be gathered together. Yeah, so at the, at the end, there will be two different groups here. One's going to be taken, and the other left. But the one that's taken here that I find is where the body's going to be, the vultures are going to be gathered together. But the one that's taken here is not the righteous, but it's the ones that are gathered together for judgment. And it's very, very clear that at the end, there will be a separating, and the wheat and tares will grow together until the harvest. The harvest is the end of the age, and they will both look the same until the great testing comes. And then it will be evident and who, who, in fact, are the wheat, and who, in fact, are the tares. And there will be some who will fall away from the faith in the hour of great testing, and those who remain faithful to their Abraham. Um, Paul also declares that at, the, at this time, uh, during the, the, before the coming of the Lord, there is going to be a great mass exodus out of Christianity. Uh, there will be a great, what he referred to as a falling away first. If the man of sin, the son of perdition, will be revealed, and by the way, that day is not going to come until that, that Antichrist, that son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself by God, sin and temple, showing himself to be God. So that day is not going to come. Yet a lot of the rapture pro uh, propagators also say that, that uh, the, the Christians will be gone before the ministry is revealed. I don't understand. Um, she also declared that, that there will be those who would have to persevere, and in that time of perseverance, he gives a promise. He uh, declared to the church, uh, one of the churches, he said, because you kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those, please listen, to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. You know, throughout the, 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 the scriptures, we find uh, people, especially in, in the end time people, that are marked with the, the, the attribute of perseverance or patience. And all of the believers that went before us, all of them stood up in a time of great testing, and a lot of them gave up their lives for their faith. And you're going to find in the book of Revelation a people who are marked with perseverance, and they're going to have to persevere something. They're going to have to get ready to learn how to uh, to have patience in extreme, extreme hour of trial. Um, you find this on three different occasions in Revelation, a couple marked by a certain fruit. And I'd like to share just a couple of scriptures there, Pastor Dan, if you will, uh, to show these particular people in Scripture in Revelation. And they're identified as saints. Uh, a lot of people say, well, after Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, we don't see the church. Well, I don't know what you call these people, but whether you want to call them church or whatever, they are called saints. And uh, the first verse I want to share is in Revelation 14 and verse 12. And it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Now, notice that these saints are not marked by the attribute of love or kindness or joy, those type of fruits, but they are marked by the attribute of patience. Go back one chapter, and by the way, this is in the heart 
of the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14, right exactly after the warning, uh, the most dreadful warning in the Bible about receiving the mark of the beast, here you find a statement about the patience of the saints. So evidently, there are going to be saints at this time who are commandment keepers and have faith in Jesus. And, and then we go back one chapter, most commonly known as the Mark of the Beast chapter in Revelation 13, and you'll find this statement in Revelation 13, 9 through 10. And please let me read that. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. And by the way, when you see that statement in Scripture, uh, it means please pay close attention to what's going to follow after either, either before it's been said or after it's been said. But here's what it says. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now, this is at the time when the beast power is reigning over the whole earth, and he's making war with the saints, Revelation 13, verse 5, by the way. And power is given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, um, boy, it's, it's so imperative that we understand what is being said here. But we just kind of just hide our head in the sand and really don't want to really take a look at, at what the scriptures are saying. But I want to bring out before the world that there is going to be a persecution against God's people. Yes, according to these uh, scriptures, uh, the, the saints are going to be marked with the, the attribute of patience. That means we're going to have to endure something. That's why when he talked about uh, the, the saints being uh, killed and hated, he said, he who endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. But see, Christianity is not a, a sprint, but it's a marathon, and during this time, there is going to be a great testing, and, and yet the promise, I will keep you from an hour, not that he'll lead us from it, but that he will put us in it and keep us in the middle of that trial. Yes, according to these pictures, if you lead into captivity, you will go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. This is right in the heart of the Mark of the Beast chapter. And then it concludes with this. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So here again in Revelation, we find the saints and they admonish, hey, don't don't react harshly here. You might have to stand up for your faith. It says thou shalt not kill. And if you kill, you're going to have to be killed with, with, with a sword yourself. If you lead into captivity, you're going to go into captivity. According to these, there's a picture of those who will even face death and not really can't, but trust in the Almighty. There's one verse I'd like to share with you in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 that also alludes to the fact and clearly states that there will be people in the march of the beast um, time that are not going to um, succumb to, to the, the system that's being set up. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Hallelujah. You find the, the, the standing of the strong and those committed to, the, to the, the Almighty, who stood up against the mark of the beast and were beheaded for their witness. Now, how can... How can you be removed uh, at the time of the market of these? Who are these people that are being beheaded who, who, who had the witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast in the image? Uh, a lot of them say, well, we're going to be gone before that happens, and that's just going to be for the wicked. Well, 
I see such a different story here. And in throughout the scriptures, you find Yeshua giving uh, not only uh, uh, warnings against uh, uh, you know having to suffer, but they give a promise to his faithful also. Remember the church in Bethlehem, Revelation chapter two and verse ten. He he gives a promise to those in Smyrna at the time. He said, "Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested." And you may have tribulation ten days. But he only concludes, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Nowhere in the scriptures do I find that he desires any, anyone to be raptured during a time that, 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 he could be, that the believer could be used as a witness uh, to turn many. And very clearly, that when the rapture comes, or in the word rapture, of course, as we all know, is not in Scripture, the word uh, caught up, is happening at the same time that the, the dead are being raised. So very clearly, uh, when the catching away happens, it's going to happen at the last day during the blowing of the last trumpet. So uh, how do you define uh, great tribulation? In a minute, I'm going to share a couple of – how many minutes do I have, brother? You got four. We got about four and a half minutes. Okay, I want to share. I want to share a couple of stories. Uh, I just got a, an email from a pastor from Pakistan. Uh, I'm in contact with him over there. He's got a ministry over there, and he was sharing with me a story. I just want to, to highlight a couple of, of things that are going on uh, as we close here. Then uh, he he talked about a couple that he was familiar with who had uh, been subjected to slavery because they were Christians, and uh, they had three children, and, uh, and they were under a great debt. So they put him in a, in a brick, brick kiln. And he, he tells about this story. Uh, on the third night of November, this was just a few days ago, uh, the, uh, the Muslim um, headship plotted a wrong case against this couple and started telling the nearby villages that they had caught a Christian couple who had burnt uh, a few pages of the Quran? He, he declares the next morning the angry mob and Clary got together. They had rods of iron, sticks, firearms, and weapons to kill the innocent and unarmed couple. The mob beat the couple very badly. They broke their legs and arms and hit their sensitive parts of, of the body, and then they threw them in the heavy fire of the brick kiln where they were burnt alive while they were crying for help from for anyone and kept shouting that they had done nothing wrong. Uh, they had done nothing uh, wrong, uh, but they were accused of blasphemy, and that they were totally innocent. The police was also present at the time, and they did not try to sur uh, survive them. Now, I'm reading from him, he's got broken English, so it, hopefully you can bear with me. They did not help them. They did not even call the other police to stop the mob, and they did not help the poor couple. Shama, which was a woman, was four months pregnant, and a total of three lives were taken uh, uh, because they remained faithful to Christianity. They had three small children who are living in great fear, harassment, and their lives are also in danger. These children need protection and justice. Please pray for these children and the persecuted family who can never live in their house again. Please pray for all the Christians of Pakistan and all over the world who are also subjected to persecution. This is a, a, just a recent email I got from a brother out of Pakistan. Let me give you another uh, example 
and, ask, and, and tell me that these people over there are not going through great tribulation. What kind of greater tribulation can you go through than being burned alive in a, in, in a, in a, in a brick, brick kiln and, and then leaving three kids behind to fend for themselves? Here's an article. We need your head. Muslim persecution of Christians. This is out of Gatestone Institute. Uh, uh, just yesterday I pulled this off in that. And it said that one convert known as Abakar and his wife reportedly held each other under the bed in the refugee camp as gunmen suspected to be from the Islamic terrorist organization Al-Shabaab pounded on their door. They ordered a man to come out and called him an infidel in both Arabic and Somali languages, saying, we need your head. When the apostate refused, they opened fire through the spaces of the poles of the couple's hut, striking their legs. Then they heard the attackers say, we have killed the infidels as they shot into the air while leaving. The Christian couple was found two days later lying in their own pool of blood. You know, I could go on for another, until midnight, brother, with stories that I am reading and, and paying attention to about our, Christ, our Christian brothers and sisters around the world that are that are are absolutely uh, going through uh, tremendous terror. They are going through great tribulation. We have entered the time of great tribulation, not here yet, but around the world. You ask these people, and you try to preach to those people over there. Oh, brother, don't worry about it. God's going to rapture you out of here before trouble starts. They would laugh you out of the out of their out of their uh, congregations. Um, here in Nigeria, uh, uh, how much time do I have? Actually, we're out of time. Okay. Um, well, my name goes up now. You need to say goodbye and all that. Okay. Let me let me uh, read our scripture close. And after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, tongues, and peoples, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders of four creatures saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, and pipe be to our God forever. And one of the elders answered and said, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are the ones who come out of great tribulation and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Friends, no one is going to be able to come out of great tribulation unless they go into it. But one day, one day the Lamb will lead them to fountains of living waters, and will be their God, and we will be their people. Stand strong in the Lord and the power of his might, my friends. Well, amen. Thanks for being on with me, Steve. Uh, give me the website again real quick, and I'm going to have to say goodbye to you. Uh, the website, surewordprophecy.org. If you want to keep caught up with uh, the things that are going around the world, uh, check out the prophetic news. Uh, I'll keep you posted. Uh, All right. May the Lord bless you, uh, brother. I appreciate your uh, invitation. All right. Well, you need this, brother. going to let you go. <clears throat> well, folks, um, as you can see from his testimony, you know, um, that Christians are in tribulation around the world. We know that. We've been talking about it on this program. But the problem is, is here in the West, it's going to take something major to shake the people because there is a great tribulation going on around the world. If you can't count all the, the, the slaughter of the Christians worldwide, every place but the West, then 
I don't know what to tell you. And here in America, it's coming, it's coming. And it came through the gay marriage thing, and it's coming on, and it's coming on. And don't forget, uh, like it was pointed out to me by somebody else, at Waco, Texas, remember, 80 Christians were burned and shot to death. Anyway, we got to go. We must remember there is only one God. He is, a, he is your father. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His son is your son. His son is Yeshua HaMashiach. He gave his life for your repentant sins and rose three days and three nights after being in the heart of the earth. And through him, and only through him, is the way of the Father. What I meant is the, he is your father and you are his son. Anyway, Lord our God, Father, King Universe, asking Yeshua HaMashiach's name, His Father blesses and keeps you, His face shines upon you, and His grace at you, and gives you peace like no one or nothing else. Till next Thursday, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. You just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the Internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Tune in next time for Messiah's Branch. Employment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch Methodist Mission Church in Wichita, Kansas, that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. Your neighbors, the mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, meds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to Wichita Homeless. Or simply call 316-619-4886. The ancient Greeks thought time or provided strength. Indeed, the chemical compounds of thyme contain antioxidants, an effective germicide that kills whooping cough bacteria and makes breathing easier. Just imagine what you can do with thyme herb when it comes to respiratory ailments like croup, pneumonia, asthma, and sinusitis. The extra benefit of thyme herb is that it soothes the nerves and stops spasmodic coughing, so you can get some rest. Who says you don't have time to take care of yourself? Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free for time, tincture, and tea to soothe your cough and get some rest. 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010. Or online at thepowerherbs.com.
our current economy, there's no time to lose. Apothecary Herbs has their own version of the stimulus package. It includes sending you highly potent and certified organic herbal products at a 15% discount. Here's how it works. Mail in your order using our catalog order form, online downloadable order form, or if shopping on our website at thepowerherbs.com, print off the contents of your shopping cart, subtract 15%, add your shipping fee, and mail it in with your payment. Get well and save money. What could be better than that? Order by mail now and save 15%. Call Apothecary Herbs for a free product catalog, toll-free, 866-229-3663, International 704-875-8010, or online, thepowerherbs.com. Everyone is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life. And you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm herbalist Wendy Wilson, and I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula, toll-free, 866 866- 229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010 or online, thepowerherbs.com. Men and women in uniform, we're always lifting them and all of America up in prayer. I am. 
I'm seeing the Lord's face. I'm asking for righteous men of valor to uh, rebalance this nation because it's really, really off kilter, as you can tell. we got lots of issues. And uh, so I'm, I'm pleading for truth and justice. That's what we're supposed to do according to Isaiah 59. And, um, you know, just seek the Lord's face because he's wanting us to do that. He's wanting to hear from us. He's wanting to act for us on our behalf. But, hey, you got to actually approach him and, and pray. That's our job, see. And mind the time, it grows short. Without further ado, let's do the crack report. Thank you, Frank. What have we got in the cracker tonight? Um, here's an interesting thing. This is uh, research. Uh, that <laughs> the elderly are supposed to be the ones that have strokes, not young people in their 20s. But uh, here's a guy, Chris Montesucmo. He uh, Montesucmo. He is a barber. Um, he had some dizzy spells, took some time off from work, and then went back to work and passed out at work. Uh, and uh, he had an ischemic stroke. It was a clot that blocked flow to his brain, cut off the oxygen, and so it did damage some tissue. And he had to go through therapy for a while and learn how to read and talk again. He was only 26 years old. So actually, this is a trend that, according to um, – Health experts, especially the CDC, they see that uh, there's an increase in strokes between people 25 to 45, and um, they're trying to figure out why. So ischemic stroke usually is caused by a clot. 90% of the 800,000 strokes that Americans suffer each year is caused by an ischemic stroke. Uh, the remainders tend to be more hemorrhagic-type strokes or brain bleedings and aneurysms. Uh, they result in about 40%, uh, about 130,000 annually. Uh, so some of the causes, though, that bring on a and your blood's too thick, okay? So watch the, uh, the diet, the um, animal foods, because... You know, our blood's supposed to be a consistency of water, not, you know, my glasses. All right, move along in the quack report. Let's see. Um, I touched on that North Carolina measles case. Uh, worrying officials, apparently, is the case of red measles um, here in the state of North Carolina, just up the road from me in Mooresville, North Carolina. It's about a half hour north. Uh, it is worrying officials. They say the un- it was from an unvaccinated um an unvaccinated person, a child who, I guess, returned recently from a trip to India. So um, picked it up there. They say, of course, measles is contagious. You know, it could spread it through coughing and sneezing. Symptoms are fever, cough, runny nose, red eyes, and sore throat, followed by a rash that spreads over the body. Uh, this year, they said it's been 610 confirmed measles cases reported in the United States, according to the CDC. And, uh, you know, they, they had said in the year 2000 they eradicated the disease through immunizations. Mm. All right, we'll talk to Dr. Carly about that soon. And last but not least in the quack report, uh, here's a study that was uh, in the University of Idaho. I'm sorry, not Idaho, Ohio University. Uh, researchers did this um, test with volunteers. They had a couple of groups. And uh, they wanted to see if the simple act of thinking about working out actually 
you know, not doing any exercise, but just thinking about it, was enough to tone muscles and promote muscle growth and strength. Uh, I was just amazed at this one. One of the groups um, was told to sit and think intensely for about 11 minutes a day for five days a week about, you know, exercise. Uh, individuals in this group were told to devote all their mental energy towards, you know, think about flexing their arms. And the other group was literally not given any specific instructions. So at the end of the four-week experiment, they tested both groups. They analyzed their muscle mass, their growth, their, see if any muscles atrophied, that kind of thing. Well, according to the report, the exercise thinking group had twice the amount of strength as the non-thinking group, and they also demonstrated more power in their muscles, so they think the power of mind over matter uh, helps them achieve this physical result. They also are focusing on thinking promotes more improved mental strength, so they're working on that study as well. I think good old-fashioned exercise is the way to go. And that wraps the quack report. Oh, thank you, Frank. Alrighty, let's talk about some of these cancer-causing treatments. They're really common, actually. Um, you know, as time goes on, treatments that were once considered, you know, the mainstay of modern medicine are now showing their dirty little petticoats. Now, first vaccines have been exposed as being the cause of cancer and other forms of internal disease. If you missed the show on um, vaccines are superstition, it was about a doctor who used to work for uh, the vaccine industry and uh, confirmed that it's all hokum. But anyway, the early detection radiation studies have also come under fire and have been exposed by medical studies as increasing a patient's risk of developing cancer. And now, research exposing another layer of cancer risk from modern medicine is the use of antibiotics. So cancer cuts short and destroys life, as you would assume. Antibiotics, well, the term antibiotic means against life. So it would appear that some of the greatest Breakthroughs hailed by scientific medicine are actually some of the most destructive treatments known to man. So let's check this out. Um, so, of course, you know, antibiotics, as you are aware, everybody pretty much aware, it's one of the most overprescribed drugs in the history of modern medicine. So physicians and researchers are agreeing that there, well, there's more than 10 million unnecessary antibiotic medications given out every year just in the area of pediatrics. So what are these antibiotic risks that the research is unveiling, revealing? Well, a common known risk of using antibiotics, as you know, is they use it to treat bacterial infections. And this has, has created a development of bacterial resistance, so it makes it more difficult as time goes on to treat infections. So more recent research that was published in 2004 in the Journal of the American Medical Association shows that antibiotics increase the risk of breast cancer in women. Now, according to the report, women who took no antibiotics were compared to women who did take antibiotics between 1 to 25 rounds of antibiotics over a 17-year period, and it increased their risk, the ones that took the antibiotics, increased their risk of developing breast cancer, according to the research, by one and a half times. 
So now these results were also confirmed by a study done in Finland in 2000, which was published in the International Journal of Cancer. Another study was done in September 2010 by the University of Athens in Greece. Their results were published in the Journal of Pharma, Pharma Epicology and Drug Safety and pretty much concluded the same finding. So the conclusion was that the more antibiotics that are used, the greater the cancer risk. So in the American study, the researchers were careful not to state that antibiotics cause cancer, just that there was some an association between the two. Now, the study speculated that the antibiotics may influence digestive flora and the ability to digest food and, and block the disposal of cancer cells. And another hypothesis, hypothesis was that the antibiotics affect the immune system, the human immune system's ability to function and causes inflammation, which could encourage the development of cancer. Now, another study that was done in the U.K. that was published in 2014, and that research was presented to the American Society of Clinical Oncology, it showed that antibiotics reduced the diversity of the gut flora, increased the incidence of inflammation of the bowel, causing inflammatory bowel disease, and can increase the risk of colon cancer. And then there's this question of, you know, what is cancer really? There are some health experts that feel that cancer is nothing more than an overgrowth of candida or fungus that's in the body. Now, we're told it, the fungus likes to nest and grow inside the body and cause a variety of ailments. Now, Dr. Tullio Simoncini is an oncologist in Rome. I like his name, Simoncini. And uh, he believes that cancer is indeed a fungus, and it releases carbon dioxide byproducts and 80 different toxic chemicals that he says are similar to formaldehyde. So this fungus, he says, feeds on sugar, carbohydrates, and refined foods. So Dr. Simon Simi says there are initial symptoms to indicate that there may be the presence of a fungal overgrowth happening in your body, such as dandruff eczema, headaches, allergies, rashes, acne, aches and pains, PMS, brain fog, sore muscles, fibromyalgia, anger, and depression. And that's just the short list, okay? So according to Dr. Simon Simoncini, he says cancer is an advanced form of fungus. And the cause of cancer really, he says, is candida overgrowth. So now this is kind of plausible. Think about it a minute. Think, think, think. Um, it's a plausible explanation since antibiotics can kick off the overgrowth of yeast or candida in the body. More information uh, on this, though, if you're interested in reading, it can be found in Dr. Simon Simoncini's book. It's called Cancer is a Fungus. Um, also, standardized milk products should be avoided because it's loaded with antibiotics and other pharmaceutical products. So besides the sugar and carbs, Watch the dairy. All right, let's consider this for a minute because after I considered Dr. Simon Cini's research on cancer, it reminded me of this very old warning, which you'll find in your Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 22 and verses 59 and 61. So God instructed Israel about his blessings and his cursings. 
He said, disobedience is going to bring any nation the curse of diseases and, quote, plagues, which will cleave to you and be of long continuance. Hmm. You know, I think uh, the war on cancer qualifies for that. So if you read also verses 22, God describes some of the diseases as consumption, fever, inflammation, and burning, and mildew, which is a fungus. Now, there is a fungus, so Israel at the time it, in the Bible you'll read is, was fearful, fearful of God's plagues, especially the plagues of Egypt, but God also warned them that disobedience would bring those plagues plus every sickness not written about in the book, the Bible. So there's some more that he heaps on top for being naughty. All right, let's, let's talk, look at what's leading this cause. Because modern medicine likes to pretend that cancer is one of the leading causes of death when it appears that medical treatments are contributing to the leading cause of death. So 200 years ago, the leading causes of death were bacterial infections, parasites, and plagues. Today, it seems death by doctor is the leading cause of death. It's not wars, it's not bacterial or viral infections, but it's medical intervention. Now, most folks don't want to believe that. However, doctors are not immune to being deceived, as Dr. Carley has pointed out. So doctors learn their craft from medical schools. Whoever controls the schools, the research, and the funding, you know what? Those are the ones who decide the leading cause of death by medicine. Thank you, Madam. Mm. Money answereth all things, eh? Well, let's talk about this latest spin. You've probably heard it recently, but in the last week. Uh, the latest spin from the media is that if you get cancer, the reason is simply you got bad luck. Yeah, scientists, you know, don't believe in bad luck, okay? But the Journal of Science reported that 75% of cancer is not a result of lifestyle, but are caused by random mutations. No, 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 no. The 31 types of cancer that they mentioned in the research affected by DNA mutations included testicular, ovarian, pancreatic, bone, and brain cancer. And the cancers that are on the rise are liver, pancreatic, and skin cancer. So the scientists at John Hopkins University School of Medicine and Bloomberg School of Public Health claim that the root of the cause of the cancer is just the way tissues regenerate. Uh, you know, if, if the stem cells don't divide properly, they can mutate and cause cancer. So my question is, what would provoke stem cells to divide improperly? And my money is on medical intervention treatments, not bad luck. So, yeah, that's where I'm putting my, 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 my wad of cash. So you have to ask, do you understand why this message that cancer is just bad luck is being promoted? Think about this. Think about it. It's really to dispel the notion that you can protect yourself from cancer and that prevention measures that you may take won't protect you at all. It's just a waste of time. So what science is telling millions of people with the dumb luck cancer message is that you, can, you, 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 you can't eat uh, your way out of it. You you might as well just have all the fast food and dairy and sugar and alcohol you want because your lifestyle can't your lifestyle can't stop a majority of cancer from happening. That's their message. 
here's what uh, Science Guardian uh, points out regarding this research. Uh, the general message of the work is plain. Often cases of cancer are not able to be blamed on family history, lifestyle, like smoking, and is just plain dumb bad luck, end of quote. Uh, science, saying it's bad luck, right? Well, let's talk about reducing the risk of cancer. You can reduce your risk of cancer by reducing foods that can encourage inflammation, infections, and the candida, and those things that weaken your immune system that keeps cancer in check. So foods that you should avoid, or I would avoid, are a lot of sugar, excessive grains, especially the processed flours, milk, and alcohol. So there is a study of how food, nutrition and food, affects the body. It's called the epigenetics. The epigenetics. Nutrition or poison can have a genetic influence on the expression of your cells. Okay, they just don't mutate, you know, for no reason. Okay, now in 2008, a study was published in the National Academy of Sciences that reported that nutrition alone was a tremendous has a tremendous impact on the prevention and cure of cancer. So this research proved that the nutrition in changing to a healthy lifestyle had a positive impact on genes, which defeated the cancer and even switched off mutated genes that promoted cancer. So eating more raw foods contain more nutrition and more enzymes that will help jumpstart the healing process. So don't believe this bad luck baloney. Hogwash is what it is. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you if this is a coincidence, okay? Is it a coincidence that since the 1990s, the National Cancer Institute reports that cancer rates have declined? Experts claim it is due to either earlier detection drugs or other medical treatments. Or is it due to the reduction in people smoking, changing to healthier lifestyles, and avoiding allopathic medicine as much? And these medical results. However, many studies have stated that antibiotics weaken the immune system's response against disease. And one thing's for sure, cancer is one of the highest money-making diseases in medicine. So if one form of cancer is cured, there had better be another form of cancer to take its place. One researcher who investigated the link between the antibiotics and cancer issue felt that antibiotics offered a greater cancer risk factor than the synthetic hormone replacement drugs often prescribed to women. So just think of the increased risk of cancer for a woman who's taken hormone replacement therapy and then is put on antibiotics for an infection. So the antibiotics they studied in these trials were tetracycline, erythromycin, penicillin VK, ceftalaxalin, uh, and a class of antibiotics known as fluoroquinolones. So you've got... Um, several different categories of um, antibiotics there that seem to be cancer culprits. But you know what? You, you have your own do-it-yourself solutions already, okay? Modern medicine likes to make health complicated. Complication means you need their help, and without them, you won't survive. And to that, I say hogwash. God didn't expect you to need a pharmaceutical industry to stay healthy. 
He expects obedience and delivers blessings. And God refers to his herbs as a blessing for man. He says herbs are here for the service of man. You can look it up, Psalms 104, verse 14. He also said herbs are meat in Genesis chapter 1, 29 to 31. So they have lots of power. Now, I like to use the power of God put in his herbs to help rebalance, to empower the immune system, to sweep away toxins. And I have found that with a healthy lifestyle, if you cleanse and nourish the body with herbs, you can heal yourself and sidestep a lot of disease problems. So if cancer is a fungus and it thrives, it's going to thrive in an alkaline environment. So foods like your dairy products, your sugar, and your carbohydrates will feed it and help it spread. So you are empowered that you can change the way you eat and starve a disease like that. You can also empower your immune system and reverse the damage done by the antibiotics and defeat disease. You can cleanse away the toxins that disease creates and likes to feed on. You have that power right now. So if you'd like to learn more on how you can use herbs for organ cleansing and immune boosting, then call the experts. Call the folks at Apothecary Herbs. They have a toll-free number at 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. Now, if you're outside the U.S., dial 704-885-0277. Their toll-free is 866-229-3663. You have a website, thepowerherbs.com, and you can get there typing in herbtalklive.com as well. But thepowerherbs.com, that's where your healthcare options just became endless. It's an empowering experience. It's a health quest you'll, you'll never regret taking. You won't ever regret it. So uh, don't forget, request a new copy of their 15th anniversary product catalog. It's now available. It's in stock. Uh, so you can get uh, a copy mailed to you, or if you want to go on the website, you can download the PDF version of that. Um, and also don't, for, don't forget, flu season doesn't end until March 1st, so it's not too late for you to get your immune-boosting herbs going. And if you want to save up to $27 on a pandemic kit, there is a coupon code on the homepage at thepowerherbs.com. It's um, kit in the number 15. So that offer ends on the 10th, January 10th. So take advantage of that, and you can save up to $27 on a pandemic kit. Uh, but you can't use the coupon with your redemption points or other, other discounts, so you can only use the coupon uh, and uh, save the money there and get you a pandemic kit. It's good for a flu, too. You can crack open that pandemic kit for the flu as well. It's great for that. It's got lots of neat little things in there to use. Uh, and there's a master sheet how you can use them by themselves, the formulas by themselves, or together for more power for certain things. So you even have a a combo product in there for reversing vaccines if you want to learn how to do that. So a lot of people want to know how to do that. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back.
life into the original medicine. Herbalist Wendy Wilson will be right back. Everyone is afraid of pain. No one wants pain to rule over their life. And you don't want the negative side effects of aspirin, ibuprofen, or prescription drugs. They can lower immunity and cause dependency. Is there a safe alternative? I'm herbalist Wendy Wilson, and I prefer willow bark and meadowsweet herbs to control pain, fever, aches, and inflammation. God's herbs are good, and you won't be disappointed. Call Apothecary Herbs for pain or extra strength pain relief formula, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International, 704-875-8010, or online, thepowerherbs.com. 007, your assignment is to find out what herb secrets herbalist Wendy Wilson has on Herb Talk Live. As men get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19, 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Pandemics will be a part of our future. The question is, how do we protect ourselves? Are you willing to put your trust in untested vaccine, hoping it kills mutating viruses? Remember, in 1976, health officials tried to inoculate Americans with swine flu, and there was a 300% death rate for those inoculated, and millions were paid out in damages. God gave you a sophisticated immune system, and in times of need, you can make it 10 times stronger. So there's no need to panic. Just get prepared. Call Apothecary Herbs to order your upgraded pandemic kit. You will have eight professional strength formulas offering broad-spectrum immune-boosting protection. Take a stand, have a plan, have peace, and request your pandemic kit today. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663, or online, thepowerherbs.com. That's 866-229-3663, or thepowerherbs.com. Hello, 
Nerd Talk Live, and we're going to be talking for a little bit here uh, about blood clots, since we were talking about in the quacker uh, how younger and younger people are, are succumbing to um, blood clots. Um, so blood clots, you know, a lot of people suffer. Um, some people get the thrombosis issue, which is in their veins. It's a deep blood clot in their vein. Um, so we, we, we'll touch on that a little bit. The National Cancer or Center for Health Statistics is showing that um, blood clots, especially even thrombosis issues, can uh, be severe enough to rank right up there behind cancer. <laughs> so the uh, statistics on thrombosis, is, it's, it's a fist-bleeding cause of death behind respiratory diseases, uh, things like pneumonia and flu. So blood clots can... Uh, can be definitely an issue of concern. Uh, some of them are life-threatening, so we're going to look at them and see what this uh, hemorrhaging blood clot injury uh, situation is and what we can do about it. Two million Americans, though, do get that diagnosis that they have uh, deep vein thrombosis, clots in their veins each year. And thrombosis is a blood clot that's deep in your vein, uh, which... Uh, these are these are veins that return to your heart, and they usually kind of like to settle in the leg. So the bigger the clot, the more dangerous it is, and part of the clot can even break off and, and follow the bloodstream to other locations like your lung. So um, if it travels to your lungs, this will be called a pulmonary embolism. And uh, it, 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 sometimes people incorrectly call it phlebitis. But phlebitis refers to just an inflammation of the vein. It doesn't have a clot issue at all. So varicose veins actually can transform into phlebitis, so beware of that. So what does give us uh, this uh, risk factor, this cause, this cause of the clotting issues? Well, uh, what promotes the thrombosis is really inactivity and increased you know, sedentary lifestyle. Um, so... Uh, people that are sitting for long-distance travel, um, people that, you know, have a job behind a desk or, or, you know, are answering the phones all day, they can develop these conditions. So if you travel frequently, it's really a good idea to get up every hour and walk uh, up and down on the plane, the bus or the train, however you're traveling. Um, if you're traveling by car, stop, get out, walk. And uh, poor diet. They say it also contributes to the formation of these blood clots, and this is true. Well, let's look at some of the high, high risk factors of your blood clots. Uh, sometimes you can get blood clots from trauma or from having surgery, from a heart attack, from vascular disorders. Cancer can cause clots, obesity, hereditary issues, old age, sepsis, which is an infection of the blood, birth control treatments, and substance abuse can contribute to the formation of clots. Now, for uh, some reason, those who undergo surgery of the knee or the hip replacement uh, uh, surgery seem to be a uh, high risk uh, for developing a pulmonary embolism or a clot that breaks out from the leg area and travels to the lung. Other people at high risk are people with various types of chronic diseases uh, and even pregnant women. So if you've been diagnosed with thrombosis, well, the National Cancer Institute lists deep vein thrombosis as a risk factor for taking the drug tamoxifen for um, hormone replacement. So when you're taking the hormone replacement drugs, that can also contribute to your risk factor. 
spine surgery risk, just how much of a risk is it really if you have surgery, will you develop a blood clot? Um, well, you really should consult what is called the Surgeon General's Call to Action Report. It, it does provide health information to the public, and it will show you which surgeries, the range of incidence of developing clots. Uh, usually there's like 100,000 deaths a year uh, from surgery-induced blood clots. Um, so just, you know, consult that report. Now, gender risk is important because um, is it more men or women that get the blood clots? Statistically, more women are at a higher risk because of their pregnancy and using the birth control medicines. Young women in their 20s and 30s have really um, gone to see their maker early because of the birth control pills. Uh, a lot of um, uh, medical examiners will list on death certificates uh, blood Induced, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, pregnancy pills, you know, birth control pills, um, as being the culprit. So evidence also shows that there were fewer blood clots for women that were taking what is known as the second generation birth control pill. It only had like 15 clots for every 100,000 women, compared to the third generation pills that are now being issued, 25 clots for every 100,000 women. So they changed the formula and it's, the blood's not liking it. Also, if you smoke and if you're overweight and diabetic, if you have a family history of clots, you're also going to be in the high-risk category. Now, there is a surface clot situation. It's, it's called surface thrombosis. It's not deep vein thrombosis. And this involves veins close to the surface of your skin. They don't directly run to your heart or to your lungs or to your brain. And this condition can be alarming or even painful but modern medicine says it's, it's not life-threatening. Um, so you don't want to dismiss the condition. Uh, you want to just be careful. Maybe you're bumping an area of like your wrist or something and creating a sensitivity there. So just be aware of what could be causing it. Other issues that could induce thrombosis on the surface veins are Um, used to think that cholesterol and plaque uh, contributed uh, to heart attacks and heart rhythm issues and clots. Well, according to Harvard cardiologist Dr. Vector Gerwich, he says these factors don't necessarily put you at a higher risk of having blood clots. He says blood clots are influenced by the fibrogen level in your blood. Now, the fibrogen uh, is a protein which dissolves unwanted uh, blood clots. So if your blood platelets like to clump and stick together, which will influence, uh, which is influenced by your diet, by the way, uh, you're going to have not enough fibrogen protein to dissolve them. And many health experts think that the diet is the most significant influence on getting rid of the blood clot risk. Um, as more research is conducted, um, on what is making the blood clot, evidence seems to be pointing to foods more than just blaming the problem on your liver, not processing cholesterol or heredity or whatever. So you can also be 
really encouraged by the fact that dietary changes really start to work immediately to reduce your risk. So it's not something you have to wait, um, you know, like drugs to get in the system. It starts right away. Here are some symptoms and treatments. Deep vein thrombosis can be a silent disease and have no symptoms. Pain and swelling of the leg can also alert you, as well as swelling of the ankle, which are your most common symptoms that tend to develop. Physicians usually prescribe blood thinning meds, anticoagulant drugs, as their first line of treatment. Then maybe compression, stockings, and surgery down the road. All right, so let's talk about the blood thinners, because too many people decide to rely on the blood thinners, the anticoagulant drugs, or even aspirin to thin their blood to reduce the risk of blood clots. This strategy actually can put you in a very precarious position of bleeding too profusely if you're injured and you need surgery. Also, uh, research has, has come about that aspirin therapy long-term creates macular degeneration. So doctors will advise patients, you know, avoid certain foods which are natural blood thinners, so you don't want to take and eat that food on top of your prescription blood thinners. Also, you want to avoid a lot of those foods and um, any kind of thing that would thin the blood before having surgery. So foods like garlic and ginger and black mushrooms, fish with a lot of omega-3 fatty acids, salmon and sardines, very effective at thinning the blood, so doctors tell you to fit. So these foods work similar to your aspirin product, but more efficiently if you incorporate them on a regular diet without the risk of macular degeneration. So you really, your food is your pharmacy in many cases, especially where this is concerned. The key is you don't just want to lower cholesterol with dietary changes to prevent stroke or heart attack. Your approach takes on a longer um, uh, progress to lower your risk. It's a lifelong thing. You want to eat foods that directly influence the blood and its ability to clot. And the good news is that there are foods that will do that. They'll lower the cholesterol, they'll cut your risk of clots. Foods like, of course, your garlic and your onions are scientifically proven to benefit your cardiovascular system in this way. And when you add ginger root and hot cayenne pepper, olive oil, fish, green tea, and lots of fruits and vegetables to the diet, on a regular basis, you're going to cut out the high-fat foods when you do this. You're not going to eat too much red meat and no cheese, no dairy, very bad for the cardiovascular. Um, you're going to see long-term, you know, you, you're going to see a, a reduction in the blood clotting issue. And, of course, you're going to avoid the fast food and all the frozen entrees too. And excessive alcohol is going to be way off the list. And uh, you're going to see that you're going to bring down your cholesterol within 30 days and reduce your blood clots over time. And so it's, it's a good way to go. The I like the natural approach. That's just what I think. All right, let's look at some blood purifiers while we're at it. Because sometimes we get too, um, uh, blood that's too thick uh, or too laden down with impurities. So we're going to talk about this. Um, there was Egyptian writings that were published on uh, papyrus that said that onion was the best blood tonic. Um, Old-time American country doctors also listed onion as a blood purifier. The French actually feed garlic and onions to their horses to dissolve leg clots in the horses. Hmm? The blood clots, leg blood clots. And Russians will tend to age onion in vodka to improve circulation. 
So medicinal research is backing up all this ancient use of these herbs and foods. Now, chemist Dr. Eric Block of the State University of New York, he found out that garlic was, it has some compounds that perform an anti-thrombotic action equal or superior to aspirin. So garlic has an extra benefit of preventing platelets from clumping together and sticking to the walls of the arteries and veins. And medical science is really not sure how garlic and onion are doing this, but they are still isolating and studying these compounds uh, of these foods. Now, researchers in Germany at the Land University have also discovered that it takes three cloves of garlic each day to improve your circulation, to thin your blood, and to cleanse your blood of unwanted elements. So the benefits of just two ounces of onions work similar to the garlic, but also block the harmful effects of fat. Also, if you're eating garlic with uh, acid-type foods like tomatoes, it magnifies its medicinal power. So just imagine what you accomplish by adding onions and garlics and olive oil to your daily salad hmm? or to your V8 juice, right? All right, so make sure, you know, you exercise because, um, you know, the body's designed to move. And, you know, 5, 10 minutes, 20, 30 minutes a day, whatever you can do. If you're a frequent air traveler, definitely get up and walk the plane up and down the aisle. Definitely get those muscles going and the circulation in those legs. Um, and you've got some other herbs that are very good for the cardio. I like to use um, hawthorn berries. It helps strengthen the cardiovascular system and also the heart muscle. A motherwort will stabilize the heartbeat and also helps to strengthen arteries and veins so they stay flexible and less rigid. I like to use some Celtic sea salt, which is a cardiovascular-friendly salt. It's organic, sun-dried. It's not processed. So you've got some elements there. Also, um, to further cleanse arteries and veins, you might want to work in with your garlic a little alfalfa. So that's an excellent option for you as well. And for any inflammation issues, meadowsweet and willow bark are anti-inflammatory in nature. And so you've, you've got some things there. And, of course, if your blood is, is a bit polluted, there's also a blood cleanse formula that you can um, have the option of using. Now, the folks at Apothecary Herbs do have all these herbs as well. Uh, you can look under their heart cardio section. They do have this wonderful heart attack pack, which is a, a good backup if you can't get uh, to do um, medical uh, treatment as soon as you need it. Uh, so it's a nice, uh, nice to have on hand. They do have the heart cholesterol blood pressure formula to strengthen the cardio system and um, lots of other things there. So check them out online at thepowerherbs.com. If you have any questions, go ahead and just email them or give them a call at 866-229-3663, 866-229-3663. And, of course, you can um, uh, request their free product catalog and peruse that or download it from the PDF file on their website at thepowerherbs.com. All righty, so we, we've got a little time here. Um, I don't think I'm going to have time to go into the uh, pH, you know, your pH topic. So I've got a little snippet here that I'm going to jump into, and it's, um, it's uh, people have a lot of allergies, and one of the most prevalent seems to be an allergy to gluten or wheat. Uh, so um, 
last year I, I was talking about an article that Mother Earth News had on the topic of um, gluten intolerance. And it was talking about a woman by the name of Carolyn who had, um, you know, an allergy to wheat. She couldn't eat it. She had the gastrointestinal distress if she did. And so she went overseas. Uh, She was visiting some European countries in the summer. And uh, she was in Hungary, and she was kind of perusing the streets and looking at all the sites. And, of course, you know, you smell all the great food. And she was really tempted at this one bakery to eat some crusty bread. Well, she, she, she gave in, and she figured, oh, I'll just have to deal with the digestive issues later. But to her surprise, she didn't have any. Uh, so um, when she got back to America, she was looking into the reason why. She says, when you, people who have celiac disease or, you know, an allergy to gluten travel to European countries, they don't have any problems eating the pizza, the croissants, the pretzels, the bread and so forth, any of the baked goods, um, there aren't any negative symptoms. And she wanted to find out why that was. And what she found was that overseas they use a different wheat berry. They don't use the same berry that we use here. In the United States, um, we have a different wheat species. It's called the um, icorn summer spelt species. It's not usually um, used overseas in Europe, uh, so it's it's uh, more of a summer wheat uh, or a spring harvest wheat. Um, it's it's really a genetically modified wheat that we use here. Seventy-five um, percent of the wheat that we grow in the United States is this variety, and it contains a very high high percentage of gluten, and it's cultivated here, and they use it basically to make breads and cakes with it. Now, the hardest wheat that's cultivated is the durum wheat, and they use that to make, you know, macaroni and spaghetti and pastas. Now, the softer, paler wheat varieties have more starch and are used for flour, for, you know, pie crusts and biscuits and other breakfast foods. So, but uh, that's not the, that's not what they use overseas. No, they use a different wheat berry. Um, Carolyn actually visited Yorkshire, UK, on her travels, and when she was over there, she uh, went to a um, millery where they were grinding wheat, and she was asking the folks there about their what they called their whole meal. It's really um, a very tightly controlled whole wheat flour, which has nothing added to it or removed. So um, when you compare that to the United States wheat flour, it's it's handled differently. It's totally different. It's a heavier flour. Um, the millers design it that way so they can get around the bread and flour regulations. So whole meal is um, harder to manage because it contains all of the grain, uh, which makes it heavier, and then all the grain oils. So you have to freeze it so that it doesn't go rancid. But this is why you have all the nutrition in it. You have all the oils in it, and this is why people over there don't have uh, gluten issues like we here have here in the United States. Now, back in 1870, the United States used a softer wheat with less gluten in it. Uh, but then, you know, after World War II, around World War II is when they genetically modified it, so it made fluffier baked goods. And so the supply and demand, everybody changed over to the that variety because it made everything lighter and more fluffier. But in the meantime, they also happened to notice 
especially through the military, um, that people were becoming allergic to wheat. Uh, uh, in the Air Force, uh, there was a doctor called Joseph Murray. He was a gastroenterologist at the Mayo Clinic. He noticed that all these blood samples that were taken from the 1950 recruits showed that one in 700 recruits was uh, diagnosed with celiac disease, which is really an autoimmune disease affected when a person eats gluten. So Dr. Murray knew that it couldn't be a genetic disorder, as uh, we're often told by modern medicine. He goes, human genes haven't changed that much. So there has to be something pervasive in the environment that is making this disease more common. And he published a study in 2009 in the Journal of Gastroenterology, and his research was telling us the U.S. wheat was being cultivated and processed differently, causing celiac disease. Mm. So we have, uh, you know, the genetically modified area to blame for that. So, again, you know, our DNA, our cells don't mutate. They have to be affected some way by an outward source. And so the same thing with cancer is not bad luck. You know, these cells are being tormented <laughs> into changing and mutating by something else like vaccines or antibiotics or something of that nature, some sort of toxin. So keep that in mind when you're researching your medical options out there. Uh, and also, you know, see if you can get some wheat that is uh, from Europe, uh, and you can make your own bread and, and, and do much better there. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, the other thing that I came across is that when they changed the wheat over in the 1950s to the genetically modified glutinous, fluffier variety, they also saw an increase in schizophrenia patients. Um, there is a um, report called Wheat Consumption and Hospital Admissions for Schizophrenia During World War II um, that was also published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. So um, this information is out there. Um, gluten is used as meat substitutes and a lot of vegetarian entrees, and people don't realize that. So you got to read your labels and make sure that you're not getting a chunk of stuff that your body doesn't want you to have because it's going to let you know in a skinny minute, right? So um, uh, if you're looking for a super nutritious uh, whole food vitamin, um, protein, amino acid, mineral um, supplement, check out the Body Foundation Food Mix. It is gluten-free, and it's a powder you just mix with juice or water. And that's going to give you a variety of your nutrients each and every day, especially if you're cleansing. If you're doing some organ cleansing, you definitely want to replenish some nutrition that cleansing can strip from you uh, with the toxins. So check out the Body Foundation Food Mix. It's on thepowerherbs.com, and it comes in two different sizes. So check that out when you can. And uh, don't forget, flu season's not over till March 1st, so definitely power up your immune system because the flu, according to media outlets, are saying is spreading like wildfire all over the United States. Well, of course it is. They've just vaccinated, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and they're shedding off the flu. So there you go. I'm out of time. But I'll be back on Thursday, and uh, also Dr. Carly will be with us on the 20th. The information presented is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent a cure disease, seek medical advice from a licensed medical physician if you dare for using any product or therapy. I'm your host, Wendy Wilson. Until next time, be well. Oh, baby.
prove that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. Denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC sees in use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free to air satellite system from ADR. The ADR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75 centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. things in this world are more important than clean, pure water. Understanding this, ABR makes four tabletop water distillers available to you for purchase. First, we have the five and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $139. The second is a five and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $189. The third is a three and a half hour per gallon with polycarbonate collection jug for $189. And our premier tabletop distiller is a three and a half hour per gallon with glass collection jug for $250. All our distillers have a stainless steel boiling pot, dome, and cooling tubes. And the premier version also has a splash flap to protect against contamination of the cooling tubes. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com for more information and protect your water supply.
friends, good evening, and welcome to the Covenanters Call. This is Pastor Mike Coover, and we are broadcasting live from southern Missouri this evening where the temperatures are frigid and headed in the direction of being even more frigid over the next several days. But we welcome you to the broadcast. We are a Bible call-in question and answer program. If you happen to have a question or comment uh, concerning the material that we're dealing with this evening or whatever your question may be, You feel free to give us a phone call here at American Voice Radio this evening, that number, 1-800-596-8191, 1-800-596-8191, and we welcome your call. Appreciate those folks that are in the chat room with us already, six or eight of us in there having a great time. Uh, It is a free service here at the American Voice Radio website. Come on in, uh, give yourself a secret agent code name, come into the chat room, and you can uh, share your great dispensations with all the people that are there. We do try and keep an eye on that chat room while we are broadcasting live so that we can comment from time to time, but we encourage you uh, to do so. Let me say at the beginning of the broadcast, I'd love to hear from you this week. You can write to me, Pastor Mike Hoover, 2569 North State Highway 337 in Orleans, Indiana, 47452. You can give us a phone call. Uh, That number is 812-653-5578. Or drop me an email, pastormike at historicbaptists.net. That's pastormike at historicbaptists.net. I invite you to visit our church website, have a new website up, and uh, we're working on getting it all filled out. Uh, We have posted over the last two or three months all of the preaching that's taken place across the Stampers Creek Historic Baptist pulpit here in, or there in southern Indiana since I'm here in Missouri this evening. Uh, and uh, you can have access to that. All you have to do is go to the website. That website is www.historicbaptists.net. Once again, www.historicbaptists.net. And uh, just contact us there, and we will give you leeway so that you can download those messages. You're more than welcome to them. We have uh, posted the message from this past Sunday. And then watch night service. Last Wednesday night, uh, our folk gathered together about 8 p.m., and we stayed there until after midnight, prayed in the new year. But uh, five of our uh, teenage young men uh, had the opportunity to stand up there and preach, and uh, either five or six of them, can't remember for sure. But uh, we have posted their messages there, and you can even listen to those young men as they share some of their thoughts with you. That's all at the church website www.historicbaptists.net. May I speak to you this evening pastorally? Uh, We have a Bible Institute every Monday night at our church, and uh, uh, 15, 18, sometimes as close as almost, or almost 20 men will gather at our house on a Monday evening from 6 until about 8 p.m., and uh, my wife fixes a, a good meal to keep them pacified, and then for about two hours, we take the opportunity to teach Bible doctrine, and uh, we're trying to instruct and train young men as we did for many years when we pastored out in Arizona. Uh, we need some good preachers out there today, boy, that's, that's for sure. And uh, we've been studying, one of the things we've been studying is pastoral theology. And uh, it would behoove every person uh, to study that, not because you may become a pastor one day, although if you're a man, you might, if God calls you but because every person that's a part of a local assembly needs to understand what to look for and expect 
in the pastor of their church. I believe one of the reasons today that most churches and most pastors do not take the time to teach their people the Bible is because once they teach them the truths of the Word of God, then those people are going to hold them to that and expect what the Bible says to be seen in their lives. So most preachers don't want to do that. I do it because God tells me to, and it's a very sobering time together. But over the last several weeks, it's speaking about the pastor and his responsibilities. One of the things that the pastor does is he guards the flock. He has a responsibility to teach them the truth of the Word of God, but also to look out for danger. That's part of the pastor's job. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he has a responsibility, as I said a moment ago, to guard the flock. If you're guarding something, that means you're aware of what's going on, paying attention to it, and more than willing and able to cry aloud the alarm when the opportunity arises. We live in a day and time when, suffice it to say, that most people are not willing to stand up for what's right. Um, Our society today uh, no longer wants uh, young people to uh, play in competitive sports in some areas uh, without making sure that both teams win. Uh, They want to make sure that people's uh, feelings are not hurt. I read recently of um, a barbecue place up in, I believe, in the northwest excuse me, northeast, I believe it may have been in the state of Maine or Massachusetts, cannot recall the state exactly, but uh, for many years, this uh, barbecue place, and by the way, don't you just love that barbecue, Uh, this barbecue place advertised, and their sign that hung out in front of their their restaurant was in the shape of a pig, and of course, they offered barbecue beef and brisket and barbecue pork and pulled pork, and better move on from that, we're getting hungry. But because of an influx of a certain group of people that were offended by the sign, the owners of the restaurant were forced to take the sign down because they did not want to be politically incorrect, and they didn't want it to hurt their business. We live in a day and time when if someone says, well, I'm a Muslim and, and pigs offend me, that instead of them going back to where they really belong, and going back to their own religion, uh, they want us to change. There, there's a problem there when people are not willing to stand. I want to talk to you about that this evening on the Covenanters call. I want to share with you why you must stand. You see, friends, when you stop and think about it, a dangerous precedent was set some time ago. I, for one, cannot pinpoint it. The exact time that it took place, I personally believe it's happened over a process of time, which all too often is how things like this take place, uh, as if a frog fell into water that was lukewarm, not realizing that it was on the fire, and eventually begins to boil, and because he's complacent and satisfied, he never reacts and therefore loses his life. But this precedent was set some time ago, okay? And the precedent that I want to begin this evening talking about in particular is the precedent that the government, and put that word in quotation marks, if you would, please, that the government owns the public lands. For a number of years, of course, my wife was born and raised in the state of Arizona, and I had the opportunity for almost 18 years of living there, and for the most of that time, pastoring a church in northern Arizona. But we were surrounded by 
public land that the government acted like it owned, acted like it owned, to go up into the state of Utah or the state of Nevada, you would find out very quickly that the government owned the major portion of that land. And, and, and this, this precedent has taken place, that the government, quote, the quote government, end of quote, owns the public lands, for example, like the highways and the parks and the buildings and so on. And by extension, the government, therefore, also With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.